Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, September 30th. Time for another episode of Trucking Technology and Efficiency. Joel is in the house. John is MIA right now, but I think uh, I think John said he was going to be able to make it today, so we'll see. Uh, I'm just going to bring Joel right in. We're going to open phone lines right now, so jump in if you have anything at all. Phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. Joel, welcome back. Hey, good morning. It's great to be back. I've uh, been kind of missing the last few episodes, so it's nice to be back on on the air. (laughs) It's good good to have you back, and I bet you're just bursting at the seams with everything you have to share, aren't you? You know, I've got a, I've got a lot of things related to the truck, but actually just this morning and kind of a spur of the moment thing, um, I was, I hauled a, a load of what we call demonstration sand, um, to make my run out to Salt Lake city and back. So our weight was always the same. Yada, yada. And I was bringing it back to the Volvo warehouse to drop it off. <clears throat> um, Rob Simpson, the manager of the customer experience center and the related warehouses, um, very, very graciously made a donation of around $150,000 worth of components to our local vocational school, display quality components. Nice. And we're loading that stuff on the trailer. I've, I've got two or three brand new engines on there. Wow. I've got, uh, you know, I, I shift parts. I've got after treatment systems, you know, and they're all on display stands and, you know, just perfect to go into a vocational setting. And he said, if you want them, we'll load them up. I said, I'll take every bit. That's right. Really, really, really uh, gracious on their part. So I'm really excited about that. How cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, So the truck, get us up to date here. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. So, um, we made a trip from Norwalk, Ohio to Greensboro, North Carolina, at which point I picked up Dwayne Teagles, who we'd done the training with. Um, he actually drove the truck the entire way out to Salt Lake City. Um, he's had his CDL for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so he hasn't drove much at all. Um, and, and we got to do... Um, uh, go over Black Mountain. We got, went over Eagle Mountain. We went over Eisenhower. We went over Vail, and we went over Soldier. Wow! Um, hey, re- so some of the more re- challenging hills. Real quick mm-hmm. before you give some of the results, I want to go back to the fact that Dwayne was driving, and he's had a CDL for a couple of weeks. Now, Dwayne obviously knows that truck and drive line and everything inside and out, but he's not a driver, and. This is pretty important because we talk a lot of times about what kind of things can fleets do to improve their fuel economy. And most of the stuff we talk about fleets aren't going to do. A lot of the stuff we talk about requires a good skilled driver to maximize it. So in this case, you're kind of saying, look, this does not require anything out of the ordinary. You put brand new drivers in this technology and it works well. Uh, correct. And that, that is one of the points that I wanted to make. I also wanted to make the point just how good the 13 and 14 speed I shift really is when you can run a brand new driver down Eisenhower with 73,000 pounds. And look, Dwayne didn't even know enough 
to understand he should probably be afraid. Right. Exactly. Like, like, like it was nothing, you know, he's just like, I don't understand what the big deal is. And yeah. I'm just over there shaking my head. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, you know what, you know so, what would be um, fun? Put, put him in an old B model mm-hmm. Mac with no front brakes and then, and then let him try it. Oh, and he yeah, could see and, the and difference. No exactly. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that, that was, pretty cool all by itself um his fuel mileage was exceptionally well on the run out um and, and Dwayne wasn't uh he wasn't easy on the truck we were in performance mode we were running posted speed limits in in kansas that's 80 mile an hour on the on the uh, toll road um most of it was 75 mile an hour um the truck was stellar climbing hills. It really, he had done the math on what we expected out of the truck as far as how fast we were going to be able to pull a grade, how fast the truck would actually go pulling 73,000 pounds. And the truck really exceeded all of our, our expectations that were based on calculations. So we were a little conservative, I think in the aerodynamic drag and the, and the mechanical drag and the, you know, the, the rolling resistance, I think we were a little conservative. Um, once we got out to Salt Lake City, um, I spent several days out there around the salt flats and then going up into the, the mountains and the ski resort areas. Again, we had invited other drivers to come in and drive the truck. Um, one of the guys you know, Tim Ridley, he came in and, and drove the truck. Very old school mentality. Um, he was just absolutely blown away by the performance. One of the really cool things that we had a chance to do, we hired a guy that had an older W900 with a 600 horsepower cat, and we got to do some some side by side. I don't I don't want to call it drag racing, but <laughs> we were able to run run some higher speeds out on the salt flats. And here's something for everybody to think about. So here is my 455 horsepower uh, D13 TC. Here's a gentleman with a 600 and so some odd just, horsepower. Just so everybody's killer. clear, too, mm-hmm. your engine is bone stock. Mm-hmm. It is, except for the air dog, and we have a fleet air filter in it. Those okay. are the only there, there two modifications Good. to it. Good. Okay. So um, I have the 2.16 rear axle ratio with an overdrive transmission. 2.16? our calculations. You're, you're never going to be able to get up a hill. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, so we, we, we know the truck has very long legs. It was just a question of, do we have the power to turn it once we get up over 75 mile an hour? And our calculations said that we were probably going to die out around 83 or 84 mile an hour. That's what the math said based on the numbers we were using. Right. So we got out into this area of the salt flat where, um, I ran that thing up to 85. It shifted into overdrive and it just took it right down into the dash with 73,000 pounds. Now the old W nine, the old school W nine, three fifty fives. you know, it was a 600 horsepower with an 18 speed, um, very big gap between the truck and the trailer, a very square hood. You know what a W nine is. So he was obviously faster to me to 75 mile an hour. But once we got to 75, you know, he could go on up 
to 85 or 90, but I just walk away from him, even though he had more horsepower because the aerodynamic drag on the truck was costing him just the truck by itself, about 30 horsepower between the truck and the trailer was costing him about 30 horsepower. The six by four versus the six by two was costing them 30 horsepower. And then the difference in the RPMs that the engines were running at that speed. Um, I mean, I had it in the dash. We were at 1,350 RPM. He was closer to <laughs> 1,900. That's another 50 horsepower. So you start, you yeah. start adding up all very similar horsepower wise at those speeds even though he's up 600 because he's pushing all that stuff through the wind. And I, I believe this or not, we ran very high speeds for in the neighborhood of 240 miles that day. I still got 7.3 miles a gallon over 80 wow. miles an hour. <laughs> pulling 70, pulling 73,000 pounds. So, you, you know, um, that's we had a really good day, but the, the truck, that, I was going to say that's exceeded the exceeded all of our expectations. Yes. That, that's exciting. So that comparison there and why all that horsepower just is really being wasted. We've talked about the fact that aerodynamics are it's not a linear equation. It's exponential. That's why you, all the way up to even 75, you said there wasn't a whole lot of difference between the two trucks. But after that, cl the clear advantage shows up. And that's that's how big aerodynamics are. And the other thing that would be interesting to see, it's just too hard to ever test. But, you know, run these two trucks up to 85 or 90 or wherever one of them maxes out and then run all day at that speed and watch the difference in fuel consumption. Oh, it's, it's, it'll be, it'll just be crazy. I mean, he was lucky to be pushing three and a half miles again. <laughs> and we're right. running that hard. Yeah. And you know, I'm sitting right in the peak of the torque curve and the horsepower curve. And I, I, I mean that obviously the speedometer stops at 90 mile an hour it was into the dash in this part of the salt flat that we were running on. And I, I mean, it was still going. Um, <laughs> I backed out. I just so, kind of got scared to tell you the truth. Well, like, this is just enough. So, you know, I've been joking for years when we started yeah. specking mm -hmm. trucks to run indirect and given the, the transmissions we had, we were almost always using a double overdrive. And I said, it's kind of a waste. You know, we're, we're going to almost lose. We lose the final gear completely. You might be able to use that one overdrive gear once in a while. But I used to joke that, you know, we just specced a truck that if the cops are chasing, you don't want to stop. You don't have to, <laughs> except... <laughs> Many of those trucks geared that way would have never been able to achieve those high top speeds. They just would have died out. And it's a, a combination of enough horsepower and torque to do it and then good aerodynamics so you're not trying to push all that wind. Well, and also remember that mechanical drag increases yeah. exponentially as well. And this is something that a lot of people miss. When you're running your six or 700 horsepower engine at higher RPM to get to that horsepower, it takes more power to rotate the assembly. There's more so, drag. You know, the difference yeah. between 1200 and 1900 is about 50 horsepower in some cases, you know, in, in between that 40 to 50 horsepower. 
So there's a hell of a lot of mechanical drag, a lot, and, and that's something that we just can't see and that we don't really think about, but it, it's, it's there nonetheless. And, when you, um, it, it just makes a big, big difference. Yeah, when you first brought us this concept of piston speed, at first my mind was like, what is he talking about? And, you know, RPMs are RPMs. Then it's like, no, they're not, obviously. That different configurations, the piston's right. traveling a different distance. It might be one revolution, but how long is that revolution or how short? And then I started thinking, wow, so two different engines at the same RPM based on their, you know, geography have very different piston speeds. And that that changes drag a lot because you're right. Mechanical drag is also exponential. That's a factor I had never even considered. Sure. And when you have an engine with shorter connecting rods, you're putting more side thrust on that creating piston, more friction and then you're running much 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 higher rpm and you even get variation in piston speed throughout the same stroke right you know it's slower to top dead center and faster and so there's a there's a whole lot of a science going on that goes way over my head obviously i, I can kind of just grasp the basics here and then try to apply them to what's going on but uh, we just had a stellar day we had some very old school drivers that were just absolutely blown away by the performance of the truck which i i thought was just very gratifying um after we got it off the salt flats we, we took it up into the what do they call it the, the snow mass basin area or oh some, yeah some damn yeah. thing up on green mountain where, where they had a lot of ski so we were running eight and nine percent grades some of them as long as six and seven miles and the truck was just stellar on those grades of course we're running a little deeper in the transmission than what a traditionally geared truck is um what you're used to seeing but that is good for the performance because we're more closely matching horsepower torque road speed even though we're a little deeper into the box and with today's modern transmissions the single shafts the planetaries in the back we're not losing all that efficiency when we run deeper in the box. So we're still very efficient. Um, j- just a great day. Um, you're going to be seeing some, some video from this in the near future that uh, that's pretty stellar. We had some, some drones chasing us up and down the sides of the mountains and um, just some, some really cool stuff coming. So uh, look forward to everybody seeing that. Yeah. You know what I, I'm thinking about here? And I know us old school gearhead guys kind of hate to think about this, but you, you look at what's happened with this truck, Volvo, or in trucking in general, cars. So, you know, in America, bigger was always better. I mean, that's just like our mentality about everything, right? We just want everything bigger. And I started seeing like European cars when I first started buying them. My first um, German car was a, an older BMW. I paid like $10,000 for it, but it was a 318. That's a 1.8 liter engine. I'm like, 1.8 liters? I have a go-kart with a bigger engine than that. You know, that, that what, what am I going to do with 1.8 liter? Except that car... I mean, it didn't have any kind of crazy acceleration, but it was certainly doable. But what it was really good at, at 70 miles an hour, if you put your foot into it, you got to 85 in no time. I'm thinking, how do they manage that with this tiny little engine? Um, the Range Rover I have, tiny little engine, turbocharged, you know, 
Now we're using 10-speed transmissions in some of these cars. It's amazing the efficiency and performance they're able to get out of very small drive lines. And we've always been just the opposite. We want bigger, more horsepower, big blocks. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it was fun. It's just not very efficient. Joel, did we lose you? Did you lose me? Am I still here? Hello? Angie, are you hearing me? Uh, okay, I'm here. Hmm. We can't hear Joel, though. It's almost like I hear, like, the line's open. I can hear it. Maybe he's not hearing me for some reason. Uh, Angie, I'm going to put him back in the queue. See if you can figure that one out. I see we have a call. Uh, so we'll see if we can get Joel back, and then we'll get to that call. Uh, I had a bunch of stuff I was going to talk about today, but I really don't want to get into it. Um, okay, we just lost Joel's call. Looks like we're going to try to get it back. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to get into it because everything I had this morning would probably take me 15 or 20 minutes to make any sense of. Um, so I'd rather just stick on this this path we're on right now. Let me see if we've got uh, if we've got him back. Joel? I am back. I think we're getting some hurricane interference here. I'm in Dublin, Virginia, and it's really clouding up and starting to blow. And, and uh, I was hearing all kinds of background okay. <laughs> noise from other lines. So I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what happened. So Got anyway, it. we're back. All right. Well, I was just making a comparison with engines in general, cars, trucks, everything. As Americans, we always just wanted everything bigger, bigger, more horsepower, more displacement. And it was fun. But in the big scheme of things, the Europeans kind of really showed us that smaller is actually better. Well, and we see that in cars today. You know, I, I'm old enough where I can remember where when, you know, the, the small block Chevy and, and, of course, we had some big blocks still around at the time. Everybody said, oh, you'll never sell a car if it doesn't have a V8. Yeah, right. How many cars are sold yeah. with V8 today? Everybody's <laughs> running around on a two liter four cylinder that would blow the doors off you know, the, yeah. the V8s of the mid-1970s. So we're seeing that same transition into transportation. Um, you know, the the owner-operator uh, crowd uh, is having some difficulty with that because, you know, it has been drilled into our head. There is no replacement for displacement, and that is not true. It's absolutely um, there not are a true. Lot of yeah. very, right. There are a lot of very good technologies out there that we can – we can um, get some really nice pulling power out of trucks um, with smaller engines today, much, much better than just 10 years ago. You know, uh, we used to talk about the 3176 Cat, the M11 Cummins, and they were turds. They just they were. were. They were um, awful. Yeah. Just not, just, <laughs> yes, just not the case anymore. Um, we can put brand new drivers in trucks, you know, loaded to 73,000 pounds and send them up and down mountains and not even have to worry about it. And, uh, they'll bring you back eight and a half miles a gallon, not even try. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, things just a few years ago, we had to work our ass off to do, they're doing it and go, what's the big deal? You know, it's just kind of looking at you funny. So, um, it, it's great to see though, you know, having, having been in the industry as long as I have, I think it's, it's really awesome to see the new 
ideas are really taking hold and, and, uh, you know, I love the old school stuff, but it's, you're not going to make money with it. Not in today's operating environments. It's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah, it's fun to build trucks like that, and it's you know we had a good time with it. But um, if I were ever to own a truck like that, it would be just for the fun of it. And I've said that for years. It just, it would never be to make money. It'd be because it was nostalgic, or you know, it, it was fun. And you know, I still like that kind of you know big block horsepower. But were you? Did you happen to listen to the show yesterday? I know you've been busy this week. I did, uh, yeah, I, I did not so, catch it. Yeah, I've been I, buried. I, I'm not going to remember the exact specs of the truck. I'm pretty, I think it was an International with an ISX or an X15. Fairly new. I'm going to say like 2015 or newer, if I remember right. Um, but And this experience is so typical, but it's just so bad. Um, he basically took it into a dealer. This thing wasn't specced all that well really um but pretty typical kind of specs um he his complaint at the dealer and when i say as soon as i say this you're going to know what the problem is he actually went in and complained about poor fuel economy don't waste your time <laughs> you know yeah. just, and they they actually right. looked at him and right. said you're getting 6.6 what's wrong with that Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting the national average. You should be happy, right? <laughs> didn't even want to. Uh, didn't didn't want to test the charger cooler. Said, "What's? Why would we do that? If it were leaking, you wouldn't be getting this kind of fuel economy." That's actually what they told him. Uh, no, I I, I I completely agree. You know, I said the did, dealers and and even the OEMs to some degree. They just look at the overall marketplace. And if that average is 6.4 and you're getting 6.6, well, you're ahead of the game, right? Yeah. They, he didn't know when (laughs) it had an overhead. They never bothered to ask about an overhead or even mention one. Didn't just, what I don't even get is why don't you just take the guy's money? I mean, that kind of boggles my mind. He's asking you to just take his money, do something. Yeah, I, I've bumped up against that same thing where I've told guys, you know, go and do a cylinder balance test, then run the overhead, you know, adjust the the exhaust plungers, you know, re- replace the crank position sensor, replace the, the check valve, all the things that I tell people to do. They'll roll into dealers and they're like, oh, that's just crazy. You don't even have, you know, 400,000 miles on the truck. Why would you do any of that? I'm thinking, take his money. Just take, take his, his money. Right. Just take his money you know, and do it. Yeah, you're gonna, right. You're going to you find know? out. Yeah. Right, you're going to find out why. Yeah, That's exactly right. But man, it, yeah, it's it's just nuts. They want to fight you on every single thing like that. And look, I get it. Big fleets, it's a whole different model. They want to put the minimum amount of money into that exactly. truck as possible right. and then sell it or resell it. So I get why they do it. the The dealerships they don't differentiate between a fleet and an owner operator, so they apply that that fleet model to the owner operator. And quite frankly, they're giving them bad advice and really you know, bad that stuff advice really needs to needs to stop. Um, a big difference between the way my brother has to operate things today than what he done 10 years ago and versus what I do now with a single truck. Yeah. I mean, it's just universes apart. Yeah, it and, really is. And it, both scenarios are correct. You know, he's not wrong and I'm right. We're both doing right for what our 
our scenario is, and that's what people have a hard time understanding. You know, the owner operator will bitch about, well, why does a fleet do this, this, and this? Because that's, <laughs> that, that's right. their operating model. That's right. how it works when things change. You know, you go from economies of scale to efficiency and vice versa, depending on, you know, what, how many trucks you have in your fleet. And, and, uh, you know, my brother, I, I feel sorry for him. He's, he's getting gray. Uh, trucking bet. for him is more I'll about bet. human resources than trucking right now. Yeah. You know, it's all yeah. about keeping drivers in the seat. You can't really worry about the efficiency. You do whatever it takes to put, put somebody in the seat. And it's a, it's a huge HR game. And, uh, He's like, I'm buying a boat. We're going fishing. He goes, Screw that. We're out of here. And I said, just let me know. <laughs> we'll go. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, when well, we got into trucking, he came in when, when it was an efficiency thing with, you know, we got in at the same time. And, you know, for him now, he's just a yeah. little bit disillusioned, but it, it is what it is. And, and that's, that's what he has to deal with. So, yeah, things you, change. Definitely. You know, my most frustrating call, and I've had, many of them over the years somebody i'll pick up the phone and they'll be like i took your advice and you're an idiot you don't know what you're talking about it didn't work and i'm like oh slow down <laughs> slow down let's go back and talk about this what, what advice did i give you and then immediately well you weren't talking to me you were talking to somebody and i'm like well just stop right there then i never gave you any advice so stop saying you took my advice and it didn't work if I wasn't talking to you directly, I didn't give you any advice. Well, my situation's exactly like, and I said, bullshit. No, it's not. But just stop. Your situation is not exactly like the caller. You don't know that. And I can promise you it isn't. But they, that's the, this mentality right. that they just, I guess, don't understand how nuanced most of this stuff is. Uh, it, it really is. And when you're trying to do demonstration stuff like like i'd done over the last couple of weeks so you know i i i posted what i think the total round's going to end up looking like i've got a bunch of fuel receipts and then when i get home because i had multiple drivers in this i didn't you know post it how i normally would i'm just right. going to total right. up all the receipts and then the miles run and you know i i think i had five different drivers yada 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 so um you know, it, I'm going to come in around that nine mile a gallon mark That's, with all the is, diversity and challenging. It, it, it's it's stellar. It just is. It, but you'll get the guys that are like, well, my glider kit gets nine. And you went over <laughs> all the terrain. Exactly. You know what I mean? So uh, you just want to shake your head. Uh, or or but, uh, even worse, the guy that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you post something and, it's, and, you know, it happened to be. You know, you were a little light that trip or whatever. And the response is, oh, well, I could get that with 10,000 pounds in the box. No, you couldn't. Let We'll go prove it. You can put well, nothing in the box and you're not yes. going to get this number. So for years, I have heard, well, come out west and try to get right. nine miles a gallon. You <laughs> exactly. know what I mean? So I was just, right. I was just like, okay, <laughs> let's go do this. And, and if, if I would have drove this entire round, that number would have been significantly better. There is no doubt. So it was really good to be able to prove we can put some weight in a truck. We can get on some very significant grades with some drivers that, you know, a couple of them, the experience level wasn't quite there. And several of them were very old school. 
and they were all able to get into the truck and perform at a very high level. You know, one of these days I'm going to dig into our fuel gauges data and, and start sorting and, and creating reports to show some of this stuff. My guess is when we dig into it, you know, that myth of, oh, well, come out west and try to get that kind of fuel mileage. I'm going to guess that trucks that run primarily the western third of the country get better fuel economy than trucks that run the eastern third. Yes. Yeah, it's not no, more challenging out in the that. west. Um, it's more challenging in the no, east. So we, we've talked about... Run West Virginia yes, all day long and traffic. tell me what your fuel economy is. Uh, exactly. You have more traffic to deal with. And we, we had a, a Volvo data scientist look at grade on the highways throughout the entire country. And I forget what percentage of the grade was the trigger for where they started counting the percentage of time you're on grade, but out West you're, you meet this percentage about 25% of the time on this in the Southeast United States up into new England it's about 26% of the time. So you're actually on significant grade more often, even though they're not as long, tall or impressive looking. You know what though? So, yeah. They're more yeah. challenging to drive. If I have those long, steady because, grades, yes. there's not much I can do. You know, I just have to get over it. It's just a matter of taking your time, not being in a big hurry. But when I've got those short, steep grades over and over and over, that's all driver there. Pain in the ass. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. you have it's, to it's drive a, it's, that It's a pain truck. in the butt. And, yes, you throw the traffic in with that. So I can guarantee you that it's, it's much more difficult to get fuel efficiency in New England yes. than running Utah and Colorado. Yep. Uh, I mean, I went Salt Lake City to Denver coming back. Um, with, with me driving, uh, you know, 8.8 .8 coming over soldier in that and over veil. And it was relatively easy, uh, with 73,000 pounds, you'd be hard pressed to run, you know, from Boston to Albany and, and, oh. and you know, kind of do that same thing. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we have yeah, to remember absolutely. if you have these long, steady upgrades, that must mean you also have a lot of long, You're steady down. downgrades. You are, yes, yes, yes. That's exactly right. And if you're, if you use your head going up and you don't work the hell out of the truck and you're not worried about winning races, you, you can do very, very well. You really can. Now, the guy that wants to be the first to the top of the hill, oh yeah, he's going to struggle no matter where he's at. There is, there is yeah. no doubt. So, a couple of the the grades um, that we were running out, like when we went up. Eisenhower out of Denver. Dwayne had it in performance mode and he was running up people's asses and he had to back out of it. And, um, we got in behind some slower traffic. So, you know, we ran 42 ish up, up the hill with 73,000, which was fairly respectable. You know, it's, again, it's, it's not 700 horsepower, but it's definitely ran with traffic with, with no problem. Um, and then uh, Vale, he done in the 36 to 37 mile an hour range. We kind of ran into the same thing. We ran into a little bit of traffic that we got behind and, and slowed down. Um, when I came back, um, you know, a lot of the trucks that were going up the hills were running in that 25 mile an hour range. And um, I could have ran faster, but I, I ran, you know, 33 to 35 just because I wanted to hold on to some fuel efficiency. So the hill climbing ability for a 455 was 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 good. I mean, it, it uh, 
you're not going to beat a 700 horsepower truck up the hill, but you're not the last guy up the hill by any stretch of the imagination. And when you figure the amount of time you spend on grade, even on a trip, like I just ran where we purposely ran at these hills, um, you're still only on grade. What? Maybe 7% of the time, maybe. Yeah. Yep, um, exactly. So do right. you spec a truck for 7% of the time <laughs> or for 93% of the time? Exactly. Yeah. So, and and um, look, here's you know, the we talk, we all, Here's the beauty though of the way you're specking the Volvos now. You've spec for both. I can do heavy loads, light loads, flat land hills, rolling Slow, hills. fast. I have supreme adaptability. That's exactly right. And you're going to see this as time progresses, as I start to get into my regular duty cycle, I'm going to demonstrate, you know, if I want to run 55 in direct at a thousand RPM, I can do it. If I want to run 75 and overdrive at a, uh, 1075 RPM, I can do it. Yep. Do I want to run in underdrive up a hill at a higher average speed? I can do it. So, um, it is a truly a driver's truck. There is no doubt about it. I think the the Navistar powertrain is going to be very similar. It's obviously 14 speed, almost the exact same steps in the, the ratios, a very similar uh, power band out of their new 13 liter that's coming. Um, they're pushing a 2.16 ratio as well. So going to be very, very similar. Um, and when you do the math, it just makes sense. Uh, Detroit, they're not quite as low. Um, the strugglers are going to be Cummins and Packard. I think they're, you know, they're, they're stuck at two forty-seven yeah. with an overdrive yeah. and, uh, they don't have a transmission with the reduction in order to maintain startability to really push those ratios out. And the architecture on the engine just isn't conducive it. to it. Both the Packard and the Cummins have shorter rods, so faster piston speeds and, and um, they're, they're just not conducive to downspeeding and conversations that I've had. Uh, Cummins and Packard, they really, they're not buying into the whole downsped thing. You know, it's they're interesting. Um, they where they're at. You know, the, the whole truck world now is global. There's no doubt about that. But if I had to pick which brand of truck is most American, clearly it's Packard. And probably which engine mm-hmm. left is most American, probably Cummins, um, and that they still mm-hmm. have that mentality. I mean, that's what I was talking about earlier, that that's just the mentality we've had around engines forever. And it's like they just still don't want to well, change. Well, when you look at Cummins, um, I think this was a matter of bad timing for them. So the old ISX was kind of laid out just before downspeeding really was a thing. And so the architecture of the engine didn't really even consider that. And, you know, they've gotten a pretty good run out of it, the ISX, the X15, and now they're coming up to, okay, we're looking at electric, we're looking at hydrogen, and Cummins is what they're doing, what they're calling fuel agnostic. So that X15, you're going to be able to get it either to run on hydrogen to run on uh, natural gas, to run on gasoline or diesel okay. fuel. Okay. Now you won't be able to switch back and forth. You have to buy it right. as a dedicated. Okay. So instead of doing a complete redesign on the X15, they put the money into the fuel system. I think you know, if they could could have afforded to do both at the same time, 
they probably would have done a redesign. My understanding, and I don't know if I'm right on this or not, and I'd love to get a PACAR person on to talk about it. They just don't care to downspeed, period. They don't want nothing doesn't to do with it. doesn't sound like it. That's my understanding. Yeah, it doesn't um, sound like it. Yeah, they, they, they're... Yeah, they're okay with the traditional gears. They don't want to go out past 247. And, um, you know, they uh, they have it in their mind that engines just aren't going to hold together and, and they're not going to do it. That is that is my understanding. I, I, I don't know. what You know, I hear everything secondhand. Obviously, I'm not right. sitting in a PACAR right. boardroom with their engineers talking to them. But uh, it'd be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. Yeah, really will. Um you know, one other thing, and I, I'm actually going to throw a challenge out there, and I haven't asked you about this, but I'm sure you would do it with me. The caller yesterday, and I'm looking at my notes, but I don't, I can't find the call, so I can't remember his name. Um, with the, the Cummins, the 6.6 miles to the gallon, dealer said, you know, don't worry about it. Wouldn't just test the charger cooler, mm-hmm. never mention an overhead. Um, I, I throw out a challenge that we would work with him directly. And our goal would be to get him to 8.6. Mm-hmm. And I think we could do it. Mm-hmm. And just to show that, that this, I don't care how bad your truck is, mm-hmm. there's something we can do to improve it. Yeah, your base specs might be way off. Mm-hmm. Now, now here, was, here was his question. He was actually calling me about re-gearing. And I, I said, mm-hmm. not now. No, it's too expensive. We, then at the end of the call, he threw something in that really got me thinking. He hauls really, really light all the time. In fact, so light, he has singled out his dual wheels, not with wide singles. He just singled them out with standard and just put the Mm. tires on the outside. And I can remember when he called me and asked about that, I said, the only thing I would watch would be bearing pressure and and tire wear. You know, you're really light, so you might get away with it. But now you've put that your support is much, much farther out than it used to be. Now you're putting a lot more sure. stress on that axle. Sure. sure. Yes. On the outside bearing. Absolutely. One of the things that I've learned over the years and me and you have discussed this with the wide base and, you know, I, we developed a suspension system and some torque management that is going to allow me, in fact, I'm going to switch the truck back out to wide base and do some testing, but if you go on a single tire, what this gentleman has done, and you're on a torque reactive suspension, and you do not have the correct torque management in there, uh, there's no doubt that his rolling resistance would be less. There is no doubt about right. that. Right. I'll almost but- bet money that that is hurting his fuel mileage because when you say tire wear, and he's definitely getting more tire wear, That's that tire is resistance under acceleration. Or, or, right. Slip, and, right. And, right. And it yeah. is... It's like attraction. So he's overpowering that contact patch. So and it is doing him no favors. I I, uh, I know he probably thinks it is. I but, know. Um, well, my answer. You, and, I, you know, I've done this for years, man. And it just doesn't doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, and my answer, and most people would mm-hmm. think this is way too risky. Um, and this came at the end of the call, and you know, I had the thought after I had already let him go. So if he calls back. Why not make this a four by two? If you're that light, let's make it a four by two. We can get the trailer up so much tighter. We get rid of that weight, the components. Exactly. And then the the response I always get is, well, what if this gig ends? Well, so what? Go buy another truck. Right. Hell, I I tell you, you will probably sell that sleeper as a single axle for a higher price than you will as a tandem. 
Yeah, there's there's a good chance, and the and the RV market's kind of hot for those anyway. People are looking for them, so yeah, you could probably get into a specialty market and sell it for more. You're exactly right. That should be a, a four by two or a liftable six by two. Either way, um, very oh expensive oh no here's to, here's to retrofit it. I just remembered this. This is the other reason why I immediately thought let's just convert this thing. It's already a dead tag axle, non liftable. It's a six by oh, two. Yeah, cut that, cut that bad boy <laughs> Just off. Cut that yeah, off yeah, yeah. and be done with yeah, it. Cut, cut that tag off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then take those tires and and put them back on duels the way it right. should be. Right, and um, that, then we could work on some some programming. And, and Commons does a very good job if you know what to ask for on their parameters. In fact, I, you know I am a Volvo guy, and I'm going to tell you right now, Detroit and Commons both are excellent when it comes to parameters you just have to understand what you want and why and they generally have solutions for that stuff if i remember right i'm probably going to get this number wrong because it's such a weird number you can't remember it i think leroy told me there's like sixty thousand changeable parameters in an x15 ecm yeah that that's it's insane sure that that's that's exactly right yeah yeah the number was just right you just need to know what it of course we're always trained to look at it more horsepower is better in this guy's application that absolutely is not true so when you are hauling lighter loads um and you're light all the time like this gentleman is matching required um and available horsepower is very, very important to get fuel efficiency when you're light. You'll notice that some brands do a little bit better than others. Volvo really struggled with this for several years where when we got under light loads, we didn't do so well because we make more horsepower at lower RPM and we hadn't optimized the gear ratios to kind of match the horsepower curve. Now that I can drop things into overdrive and lay that RPM down, I can run you know, 65 mile an hour at about 825 RPM. And when you don't have any power demand, there's no need to run that higher RPM, your piston speed, the drag, all those associated things just get kind of funky and out of control. And that will have a huge impact on this fuel efficiency. In his case, re-gearing might make some sense since it's a single axle, but that's, very cheap to regear that truck. That was what I said at the yeah. end when I when he finally threw in that fact that he was this light. It was already a, a tag axle. I'm like, oh well, now I'll go back to the gearing because if we just sing, well, we don't yes. even have to single it out because you only have one differential. So I, I went back and said, you know, now yep. I'll go back and we'll talk about gearing because now it's a new game. It's much right. less expensive. Right. Yeah. So. Yes. You know, there, there's something else. I, I finally had time to go back and dig through all my fuel mileage numbers from my trip on the coach. Um, there was a lot of weird stuff going on. I started using the catalyst for the first time on the trip out there, then all the maintenance, then the tuning. Mm-hmm. Then, But I, I went back and dug through it, and I, I also just drove it again enough miles to get some fuel mileage numbers. I had to take it down to the shop. So... Here's the thing. Um, overall, through w- whether it was the we did so many things, the catalyst, we got re- we really, really cleaned up the exhaust, um, basically straight pipes now, mm-hmm. a, a very, very short straight pipe. Um, the tuning was a big thing, obviously, but we also fixed a ton mm-hmm. of boost leaks. 
And we, I went in and I did maintenance that nobody ever does on these things because it's just too expensive because you can't get to the engine on these things. Right. You just, it, the, the labor right. just to go in and it must have taken us four and a half hours to do a smoke test just to get to the stuff you need to get to. So I, I, I used to wonder why does this damn thing only get five miles to the gallon? I mean, if you think about it, it's a C-13. That's not a bad engine for fuel economy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, mm-hmm. what am I, like 40-some thousand pounds, I think, most of the time going down the road. So we're really like an empty truck and trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, even though it looks like a big square box, the aerodynamics on that coach are not bad at all. You, you do have a big front mm-hmm. profile, but it's very rounded after that. And then almost nothing sticks out on this thing. You know, it's it's got a nice, clean aerodynamic profile. The, the one thing that is awful, and I know, is that, that damn Allison transmission. But it, it, when you look at this, would you expect that it would only get five miles to the gallon at 60 miles an hour? Only because I know that that Allison is is a, is a killer. I, I mean, the only time the Allison really makes a lot of sense is in stop and go traffic, where you're looking at productivity more than fuel efficiency. So you know, you get guys that are making deliveries in the city. They got 30 deliveries to get off. That Allison will really get them through town in a hurry at pretty respectable fuel efficiency numbers. It ain't worth a damn cruising down the road. Yeah, yeah, they, they're a killer. So they are a killer through no everything I did with, you know, the catalyst, the tune, fixing all those boost leaks. Um, I actually mm-hmm. got, I'm shocked. I actually got this thing up to almost seven. I didn't even realize it till I went back and nice. part of what screwed it up was the trip home where I really wanted to get some good numbers. I got in a hurry. You know, I, I was running 75 and 80 sometimes when I could, and I knew that was just going to screw my numbers all up. But when I went back and I was able to sort through it, mm-hmm. and then this last trip that I just took, mm-hmm. I, I was putting out like a solid 6.7. And, you know, I think what that shows us, that nice. was mostly just maintenance. I mean, that was mostly just getting things back to the way they were supposed to be. Yeah, and that, that C-13 is kind of sensitive on the overhead anyway, it in is. my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not if you're not taking care of that kind of stuff, yeah, it'll kick you it, in the ass pretty quick. There's you, no doubt. You want, to give, you want me to give you the reason why people with coaches won't do overheads? <laughs> you got to take it apart to get in there to do it, I'm assuming. Ma- ma- I, so, I, 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 marathon, I get it. Marathon coach, which builds on the Prevo chassis, that's a... It, it, when you call mm-hmm. them and say, I'd like to have an overhead done on my coach, it's $7,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's $7,000 yeah, to do an overhead. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Now, I, you know, I can do one on mine now, and, okay. and we did dig in there and got through all the boost leaks, but that that's why nobody really tears into these things much. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. Hey, Kevin, can you can you hold on one second? I got these guys standing out here, and I'm going to have to run up to pick up the rest of the stuff for this vocational school. So let me find out where I got to go. Give me one minute, and I'll be right back. Got it. All right. Uh, what am I going to do? Uh, let me look at some of the calls here. Uh, 
I've got one down here that uh, I'll take. Everything up here, I'd really, uh, all about trucks and efficiency. I want to do those together. I'm going to take this one, though, because it looks like it's about investing. Wade, welcome. Hey, well, that was a lot quicker than I expected. Yeah, I put you right <laughs> up to the front of the line there. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so I'm calling to kind of piggyback. Uh, I heard Matt's call from yesterday, and I was, as soon as he started getting into it, I was like, ooh, here we go. Matt's going to lay out some good numbers here. Um, in, in regards to, like, planning for your upcoming retirement, I know your stance is to, you know, com- basically completely cash out of the market when you're, uh, I think your stance is maybe 10 years or so away from retirement. If we're 10, yeah, if we're 10, we can start to work our way out of the market. So, but sometimes you'll hear me answer somebody who's only got four or five years left. And if they're that close, then I might just say, let's just cash out and be done with it. If we truly plan this and we start the transition at 10 years, we can take from 10 to five to, to transition more slowly and still capture gains. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Matt had mentioned, I, you know, they were kind of talking about the, the Dow a little bit and he said he didn't actually put the numbers together on paper. Well, I actually took a little bit of time here to throw them together. Um, and this is strictly based on the returns of the Dow, you know, starting at the highest point before it crashed in 08 and then all the way to the lowest point. And then I did like maybe eight years leading, you know, after that, I, figured the returns leading up, you know, kind of following that. So basically using almost identical numbers to what the Dow would have been, I think the highest point right before the crash was 14,164. So I used the number of an investment account, retirement account would have been 1.416 million just to keep the numbers easy. Okay. And then at the lowest point is, it dropped to about sixty five ninety four, so that would be your account balance would have dropped to $659,000. So if you didn't draw any money out, and I'm, I'm going to run both numbers, you know, whether you drew the 100000 in salary or, you know, draws per year or whether you drew the, you know, the nothing. Okay. So you would have been up the years following 09, March of 09 is when it bottomed out. So March of 2010, you would have been back to $1,003,000. 11, you would have been back to 11, 1.165. And then, you know, I'll just run through these real quick. 1.296, 1.468, 1.699, 1.4. so it went down a little bit that year, and then 2.334. That's if you didn't draw anything out for the 10 years or 8 years following the crash. Now, real quick through the numbers, if you would have drawn a $100,000 salary from your account at the very bottom, like when it went to the lowest point, you would have started drawing a salary that day. So your account balance would have been five fifty nine 
So staying in the market during that time would have seemed to be pretty unwise, but you actually weren't your account wasn't being destroyed by you drawing on it, even in, you know, starting at one of the lowest, the lowest times where if you would have started your account, your account would have been at 1.41 in the very beginning. And then it would have crashed. You would have started drawing on it. And then, you know, after so many years, you're only down to about 947. So that, that's kind of why I'm running through the numbers to kind of show that even in the worst you know, 08 was like the worst situation almost oh, in 100 no, oh, years. No, it wasn't. Hold on. Do you have any idea how long it took the market to recover from the Depression in 1929? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying no, no, almost do you, 100 no, years. The, no, well, hold the Great on. Depression was how, the do, worst do you know how long that. that one was? No, I didn't go back that far. That's why I'm not saying. Yeah, well, I'll tell 25 years. Okay, I guess I guess you're you're right. That would have been 80 years ago. Right. Okay, 20, so it wasn't almost it, 100 years. Correct. Okay. Okay. 25 years it took the Dow to get back. Right, and I, I believe, I think I read something really quick when I was doing putting these numbers together. I think the Dow lost 90% in yes. the Great Depression. And took 25 years yeah. to come back. It happened once. There's no reason that couldn't happen again. Every downturn we've had has been different, but throw all of that away. There's one factor when we talk about investing, there's one factor that trumps everything else. Forget numbers, forget the math, forget the strategies, forget historically, forget all of that because there's one issue that trumps everything else and you can't ignore it, but everybody does. It's human emotion. That's the one factor oh, that, that yeah. you can't account for. You can't predict, although we can predict it pretty well. The people, if we see, we keep trying to treat it just like pure math. And that's where we go wrong. No different than when Dave Ramsey talks about credit cards and he just does it by pure math. We talk about, you know, investing and we talk about just pure math. In this case, you, you ran the numbers. The math says even if you were at retirement, you should have stayed in the market in 08. The problem is, because it was so short, only took us to 2010 to get it back. People can't wait that long. They panic. They were down 60%. Oh my God, what if it goes down 80%? Oh my God, what if it's like Enron and I lose all of my money? It's the emotion. They can't handle it. And we don't know if the next one's only going to be two years. What if it's nine? What if the next one takes us nine years to come back? Nobody can tell you whether that's going to happen or not. And that's why we can't no, treat that's, money that's, issues like math problems. We have to account for the human know, emotion. It's, it's not strictly, you know, personal finance is, is personal. So it's not, you know, you have to have, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you don't look at the math and consider it, what else do you have to keep your emotions from running amok and completely, you no, know, I, I would, I would say the opposite your retirement no, completely. as a financial planner. I'll tell you, it's the opposite, the exact opposite. When I worked with people, I would tell them, don't look, I don't want you doing the math. I don't want you just 
just trust me that if you if you follow what I'm talking about, dollar cost averaging into these funds, forget the math. Don't do it because you will make yourself crazy and you will talk yourself into doing something you shouldn't do. I just had this discussion with my son yesterday. He's he's getting his money together for different things and he's asking me what to do with this and they came across a retirement yeah it was a retirement account and he was looking at it and he said my god I've already lost 23% this year on this particular account shouldn't I just take it out he was even getting ready to pay the penalties to take it out and I said well first off don't take it out you could move it into cash and not have the penalties but don't move it into cash And he said, well, why not? Why wouldn't I move it into cash now when the market's going down and just get back in when the market comes up? As a math problem, that works. But we don't have all the, you know how in order to figure out a math problem, you can only have one unknown, right? When you're doing an algebra problem, you can always solve for the unknown as long as there's only one but if there's more than one unknown, you, you, you're just guessing at that point. And that's what investing is. In a lot of ways, we're just guessing based on patterns because that's all we can do. So in his right. scenario, the example, he's, and it makes total sense. Try to convince somebody of this when the smarter the person is, the harder it is to convince them of this. They're like, no, look. I, we know the market's going down. The odds are it's going to keep going down. And I won't argue that. It is going to keep going down. Well, then why wouldn't I take it out now? Wait till it comes back. Let me give you a good example because it's the emotion. So if I would have said to my son yesterday, yeah, cash all that out. Just cash it out. Be done with it. We'll wait for the market to come back. Who's to say that the market today couldn't have gone up 2,000 points? Could happen. Happens all the time. We get all kinds of crazy oh, days of like that. So now what do you do? Damn it, I just sold yesterday and it came back. So is the market on its way back up now? And should I buy to get back in? Do you have an answer? Right. And that's what, I, like, if you look you, if you look back to, like, some of the advice you've been given over the last five years, you, you advertised it that you've been kind of, you know, you've been saying this for three or four years that we have to be at the top. So you've kind of been sliding towards the idea of getting when you're super close, not super close, but if you're 55 or so getting out of the market. But if you take somebody that was 55 in 2017, if they would have followed your advice, they would be far worse off right now than they are than they were in 2017. You know, they would have been, they'd be better off staying in, which is my, now, which is my point. You know, they, they but, could but, almost. But uh, how would you know that absorb a 50 percent drop? But how would you know that that's how this cycle was going to go? We all we have to go on is patterns. We look at history and history shows that. So the, in the, the pattern high, mid, the mid pattern clearly showed uh, it was almost 100 percent that this bull run should not continue. Never has, ever, in the history of the stock market, never have we had a bull run last that long. So if you're looking at the patterns, that was what the pattern told us. Time to get out. They broke the pattern. Yeah. So, like... The patterns will change. My advice, like, not that... Not... not. (laughs) 
of five-year periods gain money. It's in the mid-90%. Ten-year periods, you almost are approaching 99% of ten-year periods earn money. So even if it crashed today, if somebody's at least five years away from retirement, they're safe in the market. You don't know that. away from the market. Wait, wait. wait. I just said we broke a hundred-year pattern. We broke a hundred year. I know, but we just broke a hundred year pattern. Who's to say we're not going to break another one? (laughs) The only, the only way to predict in a wise way would be to look at. Here's another, here's another difference. Here's, here's another difference. We can't go on emotion. That's my point of the call. We can't go on emotion of what we think is going to happen through. through Hold hold on. Like Biden doing a great job of crashing the economy. And I'm going to go back to my experience working with real people every day with their money. And you say, we can't go on emotion then just drop financial planning. It's impossible for people not to go on emotion. It's impossible. They won't do it. They can't. And that's what you have to deal with when you're helping people invest money. They're not robots. They're not computers. They have human emotions and they are powerful. Here's another, go look this up. And I don't, I haven't done it in years, so I don't know what, but I'm sure I can go find this data. One of the things that people recommend if you're going to learn how to invest, use a a test account. So you're going to make trades. You're just not going to really pull the trigger and make the trades. You're going to run an account like you were making the trades so that you can see the results and you can learn and you can say, oh, look, if I would have bought this stock on this day and sold it on this day, look at how much money I could have made. When they are running a test account, they Always, always, every time do better than the minute they pull the trigger and really start investing, everything goes to hell. Because when there was no real money being traded, the emotions aren't there. Oh, I think. Are well, you, I oh, there you are. My best shot at it, I guess. <laughs> it, look, it, it, it's no different than arguing about getting in and out of the market. Go talk to any, you know, really good financial advisors that work with real people every day. And they will tell you timing the market is the worst strategy ever. And it's the hardest one to convince people that it's so bad. Because on the, on the math problem, it looks perfect. In the real world, never works. Yeah. And so, like, another real quick example of this is I, my father-in-law talks to me about this. And he's like, he's like, I've always heard this number that you should take 100% minus your age. And that's the amount of money you should have in mutual funds versus bonds. As you get older, you want to slowly get out of mutual funds into something safer. And my answer to him is always that if you do that starting at age 50 or 55, you're going to start to, you're going to recap your own retirement account to the point where you're not getting growth anymore. So I'm going to be 30 to 40% ahead of you in that same 15 year period. I'll be able to absorb. Wait, 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 wait. One of the things you, one of the things you have to stop saying is I will. You don't know if you will because you don't know what's coming. 
You keep saying this as though you know what's going to happen next, but you don't. Well, no, you don't know that it's going to be the opposite way. Either. Correct. I mean, That's my point. So here's my strategy. Here, here's I have to save something. I, I've never said not to save ever. I'm the one that's been telling people, pay down debt, save cash. I've been I'm, it said it 10,000 times in no, the last five but, years. But let me give you the difference. To me, if I don't stay, know what the market's going to do is like saying, I don't know if I'm going to live tomorrow anyway. So it's, that, that to me is kind of the same mentality. You, you know, no, because why I, plan for no, tomorrow? Because tomorrow no, might no, not come. No, no, I've never used that mentality. So don't try to put that mentality on me. I've never said that to anybody. Just because I say we don't know what the market does, I never follow that up with don't be in the market. But I have strategies because we don't know what it's going to do. So here's the difference. If at age 65, I'm still in the market, I have a risk of loss now, a big risk. And I can't predict it because we just said we don't know what the market's going to do this afternoon, much less next week or next year. I still have risk, big risk. But if I, but but hold on, stop. I can't say what the re, I don't know. Nobody does. That's the point. We can't predict tomorrow. Not past performance is no indicator of future performance. They have to say that in the commercials all the time. It's the only indicator. No, it's not. It's the only indicator. But it's not an indicator. That's what you're missing. It would be the only, there are no others, you're right. But it, it's not an indicator. That's why they at. have that's to say. That's my point. That's- so here's the difference. Again, we should start our investing the minute we start making money as a teenager. But we don't. We wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, wait until it's too late. But if we did this right, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get people to do it all right. And I know the 60-year-olds, it's too late for you, but I have 28-year-olds listening to me too. If you invested the right way the whole time, then we get to 65 or retirement age, stop investing and stop risk. No more risk. All the money I have, I'll still have tomorrow, no matter what happens to the stock market. But if I'm 65 and I stay in the market because I still need to earn more money, now I'm at huge risk, and you can't tell me what that risk is. Nobody can. That's the difference. Earn yeah. when you are able to earn, and it's safe to earn, because if the market tanks, we have years or decades to make it up. But once I get to retirement, growth is no longer my goal. Preservation is my goal. So under my strategy, zero risk of loss other than an inflationary loss, and I can't change that. Okay. There's yeah, the I, difference. I do want to apologize, too. I hope you don't think I was trying to jump in the middle of your, when you were saying it's the delay, that's kind of screwing oh, up d- the conversation a little bit. I'm trying to jump in when you take a breath, but it doesn't really work out that way. <laughs> I know. No, you don't need to apologize. I love this kind of discussion. People learn from this. Yeah. It's excellent. Yep. Because maybe, I mean, even if I, I, I didn't, I didn't anticipate convincing you, but maybe I helped somebody else think about it a little bit differently. Absolutely. And I think I might have yep. helped get Matt pointed across from yesterday. I kind of think that's this is where he was going a little bit. He was. You're right. He so. that's yeah, that was his point. 
Yep. So, all right, man. Well, all thanks right. a lot. I appreciate the call. Thanks for the call. Good stuff. Uh, I think we got Joel back. Um, Joel? I am back. There you are. I'm yeah. here. Well, we got it's way there. off. We got way off on another tangent there, but it was a good call. <laughs> <laughs> I heard I heard some of that. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty yeah. cool. Market timing. Don't do awesome. it. But we're not going to go through all that again. Um, uh, go ahead. Yeah, never, never my thing anyway. The financial stuff, I just kind of leave it up to guys like you that actually know what they're talking about. So, <laughs> or, or I pretend to anyway. Well, hey, you know, whatever works, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, what do you say we take some calls? They're piling up on us. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go let's to Pennsylvania. It. Michael, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I uh, well, I was on hold so long. I finished my trek across the Cross Bronx. <laughs> uh, I called you a few weeks ago uh, about the twenty twenty T six eighty six by two lightweight, and then we lost the the call drop. And uh, I wanted to finish that, and I was always hoping to talk. When Joel was on the line, are you, can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Hello. I can. Okay. Um, I, I built it. It, weighed, it came in at weighing 13,798. Uh, what we did was because it was so much lighter, the, because we hadn't bought new trucks in years. And what we figured was, the increased balance per load plus the fuel mileage actually netted after the payment an extra $600 a month for the work that we do. Wow. So it was almost like getting a truck for free, yet moving. And then the other thing happens is we're, every, we're hauling 1,000 gallons more per load. So what happened was we, when you do 10 loads a week, Every ninth load was an extra load. So you actually can, you move more material and without having the expense of the truck and the driver hauling that extra load at the end of the week and so, the extra tolls and everything else. So let me, I, I want to ask you something. Um, hey, Joel, have you heard any of the uh, pieces I've done on um, uh, the Nikola truck and what's going on with him right now, the CEOs? Yes. Yeah, he's so... Uh, this is kind of yes, that yes. that whole point. I went back and said, how how was the trucking industry so fooled by this Nikola truck? I mean, remember, U.S. Express was all over it. They ordered like 500 of them or something. And the industry was all over this. We were seeing it everywhere. And I, I, I actually went back to find the post that I did on Facebook. It was 2016. And the post, I, I went back, I forgot how ridiculous the numbers were. They were actually claiming, based on the weight of their truck, that their truck was so light that you were going to be able to add more payload every day. You were going to be able to increase your revenue by $1,000 a day. A day, they said. Of course. I, and I first <laughs> of off, course. what what percentage of freight is actually paid by weight? It's really small. It's 
specialized stuff. It's mostly right, local right. compared to the general right. freight market. It's it's minuscule. Right. It's mostly local. It's mostly aggregate kind of stuff. It it's not over the road freight. In fact, in over the road freight, it seems like the heaviest loads pay the worst. It's all the garbage freight. The you know. Beer, water, paper, yeah, yeah, paper, all that crap. It pays awful, and it's heavy. But they actually made that claim. But then the crazier claim that was just stupid, and I can't believe nobody pushed back on that. And and somebody might say, "Oh well, they they got it wrong." No, they didn't get it wrong. That isn't even in this universe. And why would you trust anything that a company puts out if they can put out that kind of garbage? That That is just so outrageous. But it gets worse. Their truck weighed 21,000 pounds. Yeah, that's heavy. That's, that's, God, that's the insane. They tried to claim that the average Class A tractor weighed 23,000 pounds. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when all that went down, and and uh, remember just shaking my head at it, and and I figured, you know, it's new. There's a lot of hype. There's a whole lot of money sitting there. The fleets could order the trucks without putting any money down. So that was all just kind of BS too. That U.S. Express would go in there and say, "I'll take a thousand of them," yeah, and right. they say, "Oh, we got an order for a thousand. You know yeah, what I mean? And, yeah. And so it was all smoke and mirrors, just just all bullshit, really. When it when it came right down to it. And guys like you that understand the industry looked at that and said, you know, this is this is BS, and it was. And uh, they're they're struggling to this day. They they have made some changes, and and they do have a, a truck that's running up and down the road that's ridiculously expensive. It's heavy. It has short range. It's it it is what it is. I guess, but uh, it, it's nothing that's a game changer in the industry for sure. No, and they actually have ninety three trucks on the road. And you know how I know that number. They just had to recall them all. Hey, go figure. I wanted to touch on the uh, six by two part again and the tire wear that and and understand this um, ratio that I've heard Joel say that you need to have this much on the um, the drive axle, a certain percentage. But before you answer that yet, I want to finish it. What I did to try and lower, to, what we've done now to lower our cost is because I can only get 50 to 60 out of the drive axle tires, um, mm-hmm. what we've done is uh, the top, my tire dealer was really good about it. He said, hey, you, I understand your fear of recapping because the casings are older. He says, you understand you're going through a set of tires in a year. Your casing is only one year old. I work mm-hmm. with all the garbage companies and they recap three and four times because they're doing it before their casings get three years old. So I followed that and I'm capping twice on the drives and then I cap it mm-hmm. and move it to the dead axle with a dead axle tread to lower my cost mm-hmm. on that because mm-hmm. that's the only way I could so. save since I'm getting that excess tire wear. But, but the other question I have then now fin- to add to it, that is, do you think we could build a truck this light with Volvo so I could get the forward axle as the lift axle and have a true lift me- axle but six by two. Before you answer that question, Joel, let me uh, let me go back to the tires. I have been very, very outspoken my entire career about recaps. I won't run them. Just don't do it. Been very outspoken about why different. But I've also said it was just because of my operation. 
that I didn't. Doesn't mean I wouldn't do it ever. And this is a case where I probably would. This strategy makes sense. You buy a good yeah. first line tire because of this setup, you're wearing it out yep. really fast. We're recapping our own tires and then, you know, we can move them around in the, yes. I'm fine with this. So, I mean, the, the guy who ran the president of the retread association um, tried for years to he, he would invite me to their factories and, and you got to look at this. And I'd be like, no, look, I, I know all that. I've studied it all. Here's my answer. I, you're not going to change my mind. But there are cases where absolutely, and this is one of them. Another one, you know, when I ran around local, I'll run recaps local. You're always picking up when you're in a 30, 40 parking lots a day, you yeah. get a lot of flats. You're always picking crap up. So I would yeah. run recaps in that operation. Yeah, well, the, the yeah. difference yeah. was the, the tire, where I'm running the Bridgestone Great Tech 835As because they are the lightest tire made. So that was part of our spec thing. And then we're running the R Bridgestone uh, 197, I think it is, on the tag axle. And because they had mm -hmm. the lightest number for weight uh, in the book when we ordered the truck. So the, a, a new tire is like 11, 1,000 to 1,200, depending on when you buy it, a cap 200 bucks, 220. Uh, oh, there, there's no, no doubt. You're, there you're are times when on. they make my, sense. My, yeah. Yeah. My brother does the exact same thing with our lift axle trucks in local operations. He runs recaps on them. We have zero problem. We, we track that a tire from cradle to grave. Um, they're his casings. We, we understand yep. air pressure. We understand how it's been taken care of and they will work just fine for yep. what you're doing. It makes a whole lot of sense what you're doing. So to get into the whole, how do we stop tire wear? Um, uh, you know, first off, if you could get to a, uh, the, the liftable axle in the front, the dynamics of that are going to make a, a big difference all on its own. Is it going to solve your issue just by switching in the axle around? It will not. Um, in order to um, optimize for tire wear, it, it's, it's going to cost you some weight. It, it requires a non-torque reactive suspension, which here in the United States, we pull off vocational trucks. So they tend to be somewhat heavier. That being said, um, they tend to last longer as well. So you will have some reduced maintenance cost over time, depending on how long you keep the truck, whether it's enough to offset the gains you're making by light weighting, only you can answer that question. You are in one of those particular duty cycles where light weighting actually makes sense. Um, and what you're doing right now may be the most optimal way to do that. Uh, can I build you a day cab with a front lift and a non-torque reactive suspension as light as what you're running right now? Probably not as light. I could probably get in the neighborhood. Tires will last longer. <laughs> well, e even I at a, even at a small sleeper, I could probably get in that neighborhood, but, um, I'm not going to get that light just because of the, the requirements in the suspension. There's just more beef to them when you go to right. non-torque reactive. So you may be exactly where cab? you need to be. They do still run a steel cab. That is correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So that's a market that, wow. um, hey. you have to, uh, 
you have to do your homework on. Um, I am not a fan of lightweighting anything because I see what it does to maintenance costs over time. But you are in a duty cycle where, you know, hey, it's paying you a lot of extra money to have a light truck. So it, it makes sense yep. in your operation. And you're probably as close to optimal as you're going to get. I think your strategy on the, the tires is fine. Um, <clears throat> when we talk about percentage of gross combination vehicle weight on the drive axle to optimize traction, it's very difficult to do with a tag because of the fifth wheel placement, you've got to kind of get out in front of the drive axle. So if you have enough room and you have the axle capacity and the steer to actually move that fifth wheel out ahead of the drive axle, that will help you get the 25%. The problem that you'll run into, um, as far as I am aware, uh, what brand truck are, are we talking about? It's a 2020 Kenworth T680. Uh, 52 inch okay. mid roof. Gotcha. So my understanding is that the, the pack R system on their six by two does not bias weight between the axles until a slip is detected. Then it starts to bias weight. Otherwise it's running a 50, 50 split. You will have and a very, very difficult time getting to 25% of the gross without, um, you know, active biasing that biases weight before a slip. Uh, you, you may never right. get there. Um, so you, you, you will be challenged on tire wear because their system is just archaic and it's, uh, it's not a good system in regards to tire wear, very simplistic, very lightweight, but, uh, you're going to be challenged, uh, with tires, no doubt. Yeah. We've had a little bit of trouble, like, uh, when we're empty and you go to pull out in the rain, yeah, uh, yep. that tire yep. because yep. the yes. truck is so light, and our trailers. See, I pull propane bottles, yes. so the trailer is like pulling a boat anchor. Yeah, um, yes. and it's heavy in the back end, so you get that. Um, yes, that initial start, you got to be easy into it. But like when we built it, we built it with the thirteen two front axle because we were trying to move as much forward as we could, and then we did yes. put the fifth wheel ahead of center. But it, it's not working, so I actually I can lighten the truck up by ordering the next one with a 12.3. I can save uh, 120 pounds right there, and if I move the fifth wheel back, I can then shorten the wheelbase more because I can cut clean out because I don't hey, need so much room just, for the dome of the trailer to be in the front. Hey, Michael. Just understand, when you do that... Yes. Oh, go ahead, Joel. When you do that... Um, here's what's going to happen. And what you're saying makes sense. Um, when you move that fifth wheel back and you center it on that dead axle tandem, um, that is going to increase your tire wear. You will have more tire wear and you will have more slippage. Um, what suspension is on the drive axle of that truck? Um, it's that, uh, pack car, I guess they call it the flex air with that seat, okay. the seat type spring in the front. Yes. Yes. Flex air is extremely torque reactive. You should look at what other options they have available that has less torque reactivity. And that's going to help you when you're empty. Cause when you're empty, that frame is just, it's rising every gear you yeah. go through and it's changing yeah. the shape of your contact patch on the tire. And that's why you're getting all kinds of slip. You have no gravity working in your favor, you know, no weight working in your favor when you, when you're empty. So your suspension choice will be absolutely critical. I think Hendrickson has 
a lighter weight non-torque reactive suspension. And I, I, I'll tell you, Flex Air, just like I'll tell you Voas on a Volvo, they're garbage for six by twos because of the amount of torque reactivity you have going on. And it really, really causes traction issues when you're light and empty. So um, definitely look at what options are available. Tell your salespeople you're looking for something with less torque reactivity. Um, Joel, hopefully Joel. they'll understand what, what you're, what you're looking <laughs> you, for. You know what's coming. I'm going to rain on your parade here. Skip the salespeople and tell them no, you want to talk to the engineers. Yeah. <laughs> there you, well, there we you go. A lot but, of that. Um, we went back and forth yeah. with the engineers a right. lot. And they, right. with stuff, uh, they didn't want to give us the exhaust we want. We had to keep going back and forth and say, why? I used Kevin's thing. Why? Yeah, yeah why tell me why. That? And then yeah. they would approve stuff finally. Yeah, well, hey, hey, Michael. <laughs> I, I have another one for you. Cutting yeah. edge here. Cutting edge technology if we're trying to, to lower weight. Why don't we inflate your all of your tires with helium? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> the, the other thing you may look into, if you haven't already, I believe, and I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that Meritor has an aluminum uh, axle housing option. I think you have to dig for it. Uh, they used huh. to, I don't know if they still do. And I am not a Meritor fan for a lot of reasons, yeah, but me either. that application, that aluminum housing may make some sense for you. Yeah. Um, and uh, as far as drive shafts and stuff go, you may want to look at, um, Dana Spicer, if you don't have it in there already, is quite a bit lighter than everybody else on the market. Yeah. So those are those are two things that, that you may look at. There we go. All right. Hey, we've got some calls to get to, but I, I'm going to jump in with this. And I, I always, you know, I always kind of hesitate. I scroll Facebook these days just to find content, just to find ideas, just to see what everybody's going on. I don't post. I don't do much of anything else. And I always have to be careful because I, I comment on things. And I know, I, I look, these people, you know, are friends or followers or whatever, and I'm not doing this to, you know, shame anybody. And I don't put out names, but I always wonder, I wonder if that person who posted that is listening to me right now. Um, if you are, don't take this personally. Um, but this, this really hit me hard because I've been talking about personal finance and, you know, why don't we teach this more in school? It's such an important part of our life. And most people are just ignorant about it. Listen to this post and and tell me if, you know, I'm just way off base here or not. Um, it says, somebody's name, so proud of you, baby girl, 18 years old and already bought your first brand new car, going to college and working part time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Uh, that's yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> I'm not a financial guy, but that oh, that hurts. <laughs> oh my god! Definitely. Talk about digging yourself a hole. How do you even make a car payment today, working part time? Yeah, and especially with the cost of college nowadays. <laughs> And in a hole before you even get started. And for an 18 year old and a brand new car, what's insurance cost? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. 
All right. I better take some calls before I get all wound up about this. Let's go to Florida. Randall, welcome to the program. Randall? No? Anybody there? No, I'm not hearing anything. Yeah, it looks like we just lost that line. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on your mind today? I think you get two or lots of things now because every time you say something, oh, I need to tell them. (laughs) I think you're getting two polls mixed up from yesterday. The guy that singled out his tires, didn't he have the cat with C12 and is getting 10 miles a gallon? Oh, maybe. You know what? You're right. I am mixing up two calls. Damn it. Now I'm going to, boy, that's going to make a mess of things. I'm really confused now, but I think you're right. I think I did mix up two calls. (laughs) Yeah. So, but the the guy, the guy in Oklahoma City yesterday, Oklahoma City, it's, it's terrible at the moment to find a decent shop that can get you in or is capable of doing something. So there is two alternatives. And drive down to Texas and go to Redneck Diesel. Yep. Or that's a good one. the even better alternative, in my opinion, is you drive to the closest, best shop to Oklahoma City is Pittsburgh Power, Saxonburg, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's why that's why it's, these trucks have well wheels. Worth, it's well worth it's, the drive. Yeah, that's why these it's trucks well have wheels. Drive. It makes yeah. them easy to move. Yeah. Yeah, and if you, you don't need a sleeper because they'll run you around to the motel and all is good. So, yep. Yeah. So... Um, I forgot. Oh, yeah, the the horsepower and the the big block technology and the cubic inch, all that stuff. So, when I was 18 years old, I bought a 1972 XA GT Falcon, four-door Australian muscle car, 5.8 litre, 351 cubic inch, flying brick. In 1972, they were 320 horsepower. <laughs> I still got that car today. It's Do you the, really? It's in, the shed. it's in the shed in New Zealand. Yeah, it's in the shed in New Zealand. It's the wow. motor was in pieces when I came over here. So it's been sitting in the shed for 20, nearly 23 years. Cool. But it's only going up in value. So I paid eight. When they were brand new, they were like 5,800 bucks or something. <laughs> and I paid $8,250 for it. When I was 18 years old, wow. when I got it. Wow. I bust, and I, did, I busted my ass to get that car, and my mother and father were not impressed. And she said, who's that car when I pulled up? I didn't tell them I'd get it. Whose is that car? It's, it's mine. What? Wait till your father gets home. You know, I don't care. It's yeah, that's mine. right. Yep. <laughs> so, but now, as that car sits in the garage with no en- with the engine in pieces, it is worth a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! And if I put the mo- the most expensive one I've seen, uh, two hundred that model, two hundred seventy five thousand dollars. Wow! So it's a pretty right. good investment. When so I was it, it it's interesting you bring that up because we had several calls about investments <laughs> today and should you be in or out of the market and. Um, one of the statistics, I've mentioned this before, 
Um, there are lots and lots of things we can invest in. Stock market, real estate, precious metals, all kinds of crazy stuff. One of the investments that has done really, really well over the last couple of decades, if you know what you're doing, and that, that's classic cars have been a, a fantastic investment over the last couple of decades if you knew what you were doing or got lucky. Sometimes you could just get lucky. Um, I, I, I kind of doubt at 18 years yeah. old, you really knew for sure that that car was going to be worth a hundred thousand now. Um, but you, you got lucky. No, I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. I just wanted the yeah. muscle car. Yeah. You, you but, got lucky. And then but... in, 19, in 1992, I went and I bought another one, which was the model before, which is even more sought after. And I paid $27,000 for that one. And in 08, I came over here in 2000 and I, the guy that owned it before me, I took it back to him. I said, look after my car for a year. Well, here I am 23 years later, I'm still here. But 2008, I sold it back to him. I sold it back to him for 80000 <laughs> So I made money out of that. Which yeah, you, you've, you've done pretty well with this, yeah. 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 So, but I was always a fan of the, you got to have the cubic inch, you got to have the cubic inch. Well, then earlier this year, I bought this Kia Stinger, two liter turbocharged, 275 horsepower. Yeah. The muscle car, the muscle car is fun to drive, but overall, <laughs> I think I'd take the Kia any day of the week. For, for yeah. Drivability no and performance. Yeah. But, and the, the same is true in trucks, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I will, uh, I, I, I will say there is another difference, too, that, you know, we need to account for. And the fact is that, that those muscle cars, those small block Chevys, I mean, any decent mechanic could take them apart and put them back together with their eyes closed. And you knew exactly when it didn't run, why it didn't run. It wasn't that hard to figure out. These new high performance, tiny what? little engines yeah. are not quite that simple. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, my my Falcon, um, I was having after he had the engine. I had the engine rebuilt. You know, you always want more performance. Well, I I got this thing where it was going pretty good. It was, you know, you'd pull up at the drag strip, street drags, undo the exhaust pipe, and um, put a set of Hoosier tires on the back, and I'd go down the quarter mile in 13.8 seconds which was pretty good for a street legal car back then you know here's something else i I was just thinking about uh david counts um fleet air filter uh he's built built a lot of cars of confidence he yeah yeah, he builds cars that end up in other parts of the world people you know contract with him to build uh, old american muscle cars and he sent them to australia new zealand and i mean he builds incredible cars but what we're talking about is almost a fusion of the you know american big block or even small block v8s and new technology like he p- programs them now yeah, everything's yeah everything's yeah. all electronic yeah. now he does you know dual stainless steel turbos i mean he's got street legal cars that are putting out 1700 horsepower yeah so um i was having trouble with it yeah i'd, I'd get to uh 5,600 RPM in top gear and it would start missing. 
and I went to the which was about 130 plus mile an hour, and I, I went went to the mechanic shop and I says, oh, it starts missing at 5600, and he said, what gear? And I said, hmm. oh. Oh, he said, you run out of air. Yeah, you're and, running uh, out of air. So I changed, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I changed the air filter and then put a, a different carburetor on it, a, a high-volume fuel pump, and it would go 6,200 RPM in top gear, which was 150 mile an hour. There you but go. You, you couldn't. It still had 1970s brakes on. You couldn't stop the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll get up and go. But uh, you can, that's right. And that was 1999. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so on to, on to the trucking thing now. Joel might have seen the picture of that, that guy that's built the, the black Volvo, the heavy haul, one with the Cummins in it. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, um. I made some comments about that the other day, and I uh, had various people told me that the uh, it wouldn't have been any good as a heavy haul truck with a, a D13 in it. And uh, but I don't. And then someone said that they do heavy haul 105,000 pounds. Well, in my opinion, 105,000 or 129,000 pounds is not heavy haul. Because there's still no. plenty of states no. that are permitted at 105 sure. and 110, and that's not heavy. Well, that's just regular freight, in my opinion. So, but a, a D13 would easily pull 105,000 up any hill in this country and go down the other side and be not a problem. But according to some people, no, you need a big Cummins for that. You're spot on that D13 when when you spec it right would have zero issues doing that. So no, yeah. no, absolutely. He's he's built a nice truck, but I was disappointed when I found out had a Cummins in it. But I and I've got Cummins because <laughs> <laughs> I was well, I, I was gonna. I was like, I'm gonna follow this guy, and then uh, found out it's got a Cummins in it, and it's like, oh, shit, maybe so I forget it, right? <laughs> yeah. So no, that I, I did. I did see that truck. Absolutely beautiful truck. Not not my choice engine, but uh, I'm sure it's, it'll it'll run just fine. Um, he done yeah, he done a nice job, job on that truck. Yeah, yep, yeah, done a nice job it on looks it. Looks good. So, yeah. Yep, sure does. Um, can you can you put a picture? I want a picture of your your lift axle where the I'm guessing the drive shaft goes underneath it. Does it over top? It's a U. So it goes over top of. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I was curious about that. Can you can you put some pictures of your your lift axle and drive shaft when it's up and down? I'm curious to see that. I I can do that. Okay, that'll work. I can do that. And, uh, yep. I think that's all I had today. I can't remember. All right, that'll I'm work. I'm not going to ask you. any financial questions. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. You don't need to. You've uh, you've prepared for retirement with all your classic cars. Let's. Uh, Let's go to Pennsylvania. AJ, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Good morning to you. Good afternoon to Joel. You know, How you just doing? Like, uh, <laughs> just, just like uh, Paul there. You, you know, you, you can just call without anything on your mind. And once the show gets started, you got plenty to talk about. <laughs> uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the, uh, the topic that I called about. Mainly because I get my head's going all over the place, and I went back and listened to my call from yesterday. I sound like a soup sandwich, but uh, I want to keep keep the point on that I'm not all over the place. 
I called about, uh, so I got I told Kevin about this truck a little bit yesterday. Uh, it's a 20, I didn't get real specific with them, but it's a 2014 uh, Cascadia. A DD15 250 uh, gears in it with a direct drive transmission, uh, single axle, the front axle, the drive axle, and the rear axle, the dead axle. Um, my concern is this winter, I'm going to be staying up north in the northeast and uh, had a couple of couple of rough spots with some snow last year when I came back home. I tried to stay down south all winter and then I came back home and uh, had a couple of couple of spots where I didn't know I was going to be able to back up to the door. It was a little bit of an incline going up to the door and there was a, just a coating of snow and it had frozen. So mm-hmm. one of the things I plan on doing is getting a little salt and sand mix and a five gallon bucket and leave it in the truck, throw some of that down. Mm-hmm. But uh, what kind of techniques do you, do you use? I can drop the air in this thing. I don't know if that helped me last time or not. It was pretty, it was pretty rough, but so one of the things that um, you can do, um, and there are several things, but one of the things that you can do on a on a tag axle arrangement, and this is the big problem with a tag axle is when you're in reverse with a torque reactive suspension, um, you've got the dead axle back there still on the ground, and especially when you go to contact the trailer and you put a little a little weight on the frame rails. It's loading up that tag axle and then the bag starts to inflate and it, it just becomes very problematic back in under trailers. So, um, you can do something as simple as wedge a block of wood in, in between like the spring and the frame and dump the air and that will put the weight on the drive axle. Um, I prefer to use, I typically in this type of axle arrangement, Timbrin auxiliary suspensions. They make a rubber block that bolts to the frame and it goes right over top of the drive axle. And you just put the rubber block on the drive axle. When you dump the air, that helps to transfer weight to the drive axle. And that will help you with traction. Um, the other thing that you really have to pay attention to with a tag axle arrangement that doesn't really bias weight effectively is tire pressure in the winter time. You're going to want to run a little bit lower tire pressure. Um, you know, when it's cold out, when you have a chance of snow, you don't get crazy with it, but I would start backing it down till you really start to notice, uh, a, uh, a decrease in fuel efficiency. You don't want to kill your fuel efficiency just to, to pick up a little bit of traction, but that will also help is to, you know, get that contact patch a little bit bigger. Are you running wide base singles or do you have duals on the truck? I got duals. Okay. That will help because you have more, more biting edges there. So, um, you know, those are some, some pretty simple things you can do. Yeah. Keep your sand with you or an easier way. In my opinion, um, I love them auto socks. Uh, they go on and off very easily and they absolutely work. Um, they're, they're very nice. Uh, you know, having the dump, the dump valve on the, on the dead axle by itself is also a way that you can, can load up that, uh, that drive axle and get some better traction. So those are some things that, that you can do. Fifth wheel placement is pretty critical. Um, keeping it as far forward as legally possible without, you know, getting the frame into the landing gear on the trailer. Um, that's going to help you keeping that kingpin weight centered directly over the drive axle will, will really help. 
uh, as well. So those are some things that you can do uh, to, to help you maintain traction in the snow with a, with a tag axle arrangement. All right. Great. Appreciate it. I was going to ask about the auto socks. That was going to be one of my Oh questions. yeah. Great. I'm not throwing iron. Yeah. Get them. Um, get them. Yeah. Yeah. So carry them. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. it's better than chains because they take up less space and less weight, but, oh, um, so much better. So what was the name of the company that puts the, the, um, the, the, the auxiliary pack? rubber blocks, the auxiliary rubber block suspension is a company called Timbren, T-I-M-B-R-E-N. And, uh, you can find them online and they mostly make stuff for like pickup trucks and whatnot. But, uh, if you play around with their, with their website, you'll find the like universal fit for heavy duty trucks and, and then you can get into it. Um, and, and call them. They're very helpful people and they will help you get what you need to put that auxiliary rubber block suspension on there. And that way you just, you know, you're not trying to jam or wedge a piece of wood in there to help transfer. It's just, you know, it's done. You dump the air, the it's rubber clean. blocks sit down yeah. on the axle. It weights the axle down. Yeah, it is. Yep. It is. Good idea. So definitely Good. helpful when you don't have weight. And, you know, our fuel hauler could also do that too. I was just yeah. thinking about that. The guy that had the very yeah. lightweight truck he could put a, a rubber block auxiliary rubber block on there and it would help him as well. Good stuff. All right. Hey, uh, while you were covering that call, I just, uh, I had a thought and I went and ran some numbers. So I, I know there are probably a lot of people going, Oh, why are you picking on an 18 year old girl for buying a new car? She's going to pay for it herself. And, and <laughs> you know, if she is kudos to her. Um, but I, I just want people to understand the power of time when it comes to money, this girl's 18. I ran some numbers. So a new Kia is going to cost you $25,000. I mean, that's a, that's a rough number. I don't know exactly what model she got, but 25000 is a good guess. Um, Joel, you and I have had similar histories in life. Um, at 18, would a $5,000 car work for you? Even today. And I'm not talking about, you know, $5,000 to yeah. buy a new car. <laughs> but today... At 18, going to college, working part-time, I can find a $5,000 car I'd be happy with. Brother, I got a 2008 Ford Focus. That, you know what I mean? So it works. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There you go. So Exactly, you know? So I so, drive that around for work. Absolutely. Let me just give an alternative. Now, here's something else to think about. That 18-year-old has the rest of her life to experience a new car at some point. You don't have to be in a big hurry to do it right now. You have the rest of your life. But on this one purchase, if instead of buying a $25,000 car, and I'm not taking into account interest, I'm just going to go with the $25,000. She's going to pay back much more than that, but we'll go with the $25,000. We're going to take five away to go buy a good used car, and we're going to invest the twenty into the S&P 500 for the next 40 years. And we're not going to touch it. We're not going to worry about ups and downs in the market. We're just going to put it in there and we're going to set it and forget it. I, I, you know, I don't want to put people on the spot, but it's kind of funny. Take a guess at how much she's going to have at retirement. She's never, ever going to put a single penny more into retirement. She's just going to take this one-time purchase at 18 instead of buying a $25,000 car, buy a $5,000 car, invest the 20000 in the S&P 500. Take a wild guess how much money she'll have. Mm. 
I've, I've seen this done before. I know it's a stupid it's, amount of it's money, stupid, like right. a million and a half dollars. I, I mean, it ends up, yeah, it, it ends up crazy. Yeah. It's $905,000. That is nuts. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is just nuts. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the value of time, man, when you can start early like that, and it's like huge. I said, I'm not really a financial guru by any, any stretch of the imagination, but my kids and stepkids, I was, I was on their ass about this stuff yeah. early, early Good. on, Good. you know, you get, you get into the market and, and, uh, so yeah, so they're, they're all, all doing well now because of that. And it was, it was just simple advice like that. Nothing technical, just get in. I, I don't care what you do. Just get in early, you know, and while you're young. So absolutely. Here, here was another weird example. I calculated this when my kids were young and we started paying them to work in our business, which is a great tax deduction if you own a business. Um, and it's really simple, but they were like nine and 10 um, roughly. And we, mm-hmm. they, no matter how much work they had to do, they got paid $75 a month. I mean, that was it. So, and they were filing mm-hmm. stuff and, you mm-hmm. know, I think that's good for kids to do that kind of stuff. But I ran the numbers and if, if sure. they did that from age 10 to 18 and they, and if they didn't touch the money at all, just, just not at all, we're going to invest it all just to see what's possible. So $75 a month. Mm-hmm. And then once they turned 18, mm-hmm. I said, all you ever have to do for the rest of your life is just keep putting in the $75 a month. And even at a minimum wage job, mm-hmm. when you're a teenager, you can do that. It's a, you're you're going to sacrifice a little sure. bit, but you could do it. And then once you actually started working mm-hmm. like real jobs, 75 bucks a month becomes nothing if you're talking about retirement. And mm-hmm. they would have retired with like $6 million on $75 a month. That is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. That, yeah. is, that is really cool. Yep. Absolutely. It's, it's time. Why don't we teach this in school? Uh, it's hard to say. I, yeah, yeah, there's there's so much, so many things we should be teaching in school that we just we just completely ignore. Yeah, yep. financial responsibility and and being able to handle money. One of the it's almost like they prefer everybody to be broke. Oh, I, I absolutely it's the thing. But, yep. uh, yeah, <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, not just broke. In debt. Well, right. right. Told to the government to <laughs> right. uh, make your life work. It, yeah. It's a. It's it's way easy to control the the herd that way. I guess you yep. know what I mean. And yeah, uh, they they definitely don't want you making money and thinking independently because then you become a problem. Right. That's for sure. Very, <laughs> that's the way I see. No, yeah, that's ex- that is exactly right. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Texas this time. Tim, welcome to the program. Hello. What's on your mind today? Can you hear me? Ah, I have some questions on the, the new Volvo. Um, I'm seriously thinking about pulling the trigger on one of those. But uh, bottom line is I'm 60 years old. This turned 60 in July. I'm going to try trucking, keep trucking for another 10 years. I'm just wondering if the what a truck spec like what Joe has, what would that cost and how long is the uh, the build time or the wait time to get it? 
So wait times are going to vary by dealers and depending on what the economy does, some of these fleets are, you know, they're backing out of orders now and dealers are getting slots available a lot sooner. So you'll have to shop that around. Um, you know, the cost is about the same as any other new truck on the market. You're depending on how you spec it. It's going to be from 155 to 250. Um, just depends what options and stuff you throw on it. Uh, a, a well-specced, um, VNL iTorque uh, 760, you're in that $180,000 range to 205. Um, you can get a little crazier, or you can you can uh, take some options out of it and and move that number around. So you definitely have to talk to a dealer to get yourself some firm numbers. Um, something interesting here with with your age and something that we don't really think about. Um, my truck has a heated and massaging seat. You know, I'm 53. I've got some arthritis going on. It is so nice. <laughs> I, I would, I would have a hard time spending a, a, an entire 11 hours in the seat without it anymore. Um, it, it really has enabled me to drive comfortably much, much longer, not having to shift and taking that stress and strain away um, it's made a huge difference as, as I get older, you know, things I would have giggled at when I was 25. Yeah. Who the hell needs that? And you know, all that you'd think is just bullshit. But you know, as I get older, um, very, very thankful that I, I have these options cause it, it it's going to let me drive significantly longer, um, stay behind the wheel. And that that's where I like to be personally. So, um, you know, it's kind of a good move for a, for a guy that, um, you know, is, is getting a little older that wants to drive a little bit longer. Um, the truck really enables you to do that physically. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I'm, I'm thinking about it. Cause I drive a, a 99 T800 right now and I've had it since it's about a one year old. Um, and I got to micromanage this thing constantly. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's really is a pain. I mean, and and uh, yeah, that's what I was looking at. The ease, put it in cruise control and go, go, you know. Or this, yeah, this truck, it, you don't do that. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's exactly right. You know, we've always been taught we've got to babysit the truck. We got to watch this gauge or watch that gauge and shift when this tells you to do this via the gauges. And honestly, at my age, I don't want to have to do that. I want to be paying attention <laughs> to the road. I know yeah. that my reaction time is not as fast as what it used to. It's just not, especially at night. And I can't be watching a gauge cluster and still drive as safe as I want to. And I don't have to do that with this. And, uh, so no, you're spot on. I think what you're thinking there, you know, you're going to go from having to micromanage the truck to letting the truck do its thing in a very efficient way. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised at how your quality of life improves behind the wheel. Um, especially if you get that heat massage on the seat, man. It's, I look forward to getting into the seat now because I'm going to feel better at the end of the day. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And the other thing is with this truck, I mean, my 30 day average is about 5.8 and I, I do everything I can to get good fuel mileage on this thing and it just won't do it. But, uh, I'm thinking that, you know, if I run enough, then, then, uh, the fuel savings I have will pretty much pay for the truck. You know, I won't. What uh, uh, What do you do? Are you pulling a van, a flatbed? What duty cycle? Flatbed. 
But gotcha. it, and, uh, yeah. And I may go to to band, you know, mm-hmm. as well. well I, you'll I definitely, mean, I'll stay you'll with definitely the yeah, you'll definitely see a fuel efficiency increase by going to the van because you're in control of the aerodynamics at that point. I do right. have a couple of guys that spec the new iTorque that are pulling Conestogas, which are traditionally very hard on, on fuel because it's essentially a parachute. Right. They're just knocking out of the ballpark. You know, they're getting into that nine mile a gallon range running a spread axle Conestoga. So that's incredible. Um, it, it, it can be done. But just an, an open platform trailer, flatbed, you know, it. there's so much variation on the arrow that I would love to be able to tell you you're going to go from 5.8 to, to 9. But, um, you know, it, there's just too many things out of my control to be able to, to tell you that. If you were right. telling me you were in a, in a van trailer, I'd say, oh, you know, you're going to you're definitely going to be able to do that. So um, you'll you will get into a much nicer truck chances are your fuel efficiency is gonna gonna increase significantly i just couldn't tell you how much right right yeah so one other question i have for kevin um i got your app to listen to you know for the listen to the shows yeah you don't you don't post every show every day or no, we well, do. What is the deal with that? We do. So there's a couple things. Every now and then we skip a show. I might take a day off. We might have a technology issue. So there could be a gap here or there where there's just a show missing. The other thing I've seen a lot of with the app is sometimes refreshing the app. Do you know how to kind of pull down that list and refresh it? Uh, no, not really. So when you're looking at any Um, list, like a list of shows or that, if you just put your finger and pull down and, and then you'll see a little spinning wheel up there and it'll, it'll refresh sometimes refreshing like that will, will make it show up. Worst case scenario. Remember, we're still working through some things on the app. Worst case scenario I've seen. Somebody had to uninstall and then reinstall the app and then all the shows were there and they were fine. Okay, but just was, just try that refreshing time, like first. Ten, ten days behind. Okay, I will. Yeah, I, will. I think that All might right. be what's going on. Yeah, the the shows get posted. Um, they upload automatically when we're done, and Aaron is sitting there waiting. They're posted usually within minutes of us being off the air. Oh, okay. Yeah, because like I say, a lot of most of the time, I don't see it. You know, they're like. At least a week old. Oh, try try refreshing and see yeah. what happens. And if, if that doesn't work, and okay. if you don't mind, try uninstalling and reinstalling the app. And if for some reason you still had a problem, call tech support, and we'll, we'll get you figured out. Okay. Okay. So back, back to the truck, do you think it would be feasible to do with, with only, you know, 10 years left to drive it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you spec yeah, a, yeah, a, a yeah. well-spec truck is going to pay for itself in the first year or two. Yeah. And it, it's going to make your life so much better on right. the road. It, it's right. hard sometimes to get people to kind of understand how it improves your quality of life. But it, I mean, it absolutely does. They're just like the dynamic steering option on this. And, you know, I'm a driver and, and I like to drive and I like the road feel and whatnot. And I was kind of blown away by how much easier dynamic steering 
makes the truck. You know, it corrects itself for a broadside wind. How cool is that? Yeah. You're not fighting that wind, you know, yeah. running out across Wyoming. Wow. It just kind of steers itself back. And you literally can set back and then focus on the safety part of things. And I think that's very important as we start to get older. Eyesight's not quite as good. Reaction time's not quite as fast. We know this. We don't like to admit it, but we all know it. And, you know, being able to focus on the safety issue as we get older, to me, is extremely important. Not having to yeah. babysit the truck and jump through hoops to get it to, to six miles a gallon. The truck hey. is smart enough nowadays to do it on its own. Let's, let's just concentrate on the safety and, and enjoy the ride. Hey, hey Joel, when I... When yeah, that I, steering, is that a... Is that a um, go oh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. You're, you're fine. Go ahead. You're, I was going to say... Yeah, I was going to say, is that steering, is that an option or, or is that? Dynamic steering is, it, it is an option. Um, obviously, okay. power steering is standard, and, and this is an option that uh, just kind of puts, I don't know, power steering on steroids. It's just <laughs> yeah. really, really nice. Uh, when, you, oh. when you drive it, you just be blown away by it. It's, it's, it's nice to have. Yeah, I I was about to say okay, that cool. uh, ahead, when Kevin. yeah when I first started Joel this whole idea of you know making the truck safer more comfortable easy to drive um, when I first started talking about and testing auto shifts I got told many many times you're not a real truck mm-hmm. driver anymore. Oh, Jesus. I hear that all the time. <laughs> Buy a real truck. You're not a truck driver. Yada, yada, yada. I know. Okay, whatever. I know. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. But remember, and with cars, was kind of the same thing oh, back yeah. in the day. If you didn't yeah. have a Chevy, a Ford, or a Dodge, you were a, a communist and get out of my face and yada, yada, yada. So, right. Yeah. Um, it, the, the industry will come around because the, the fact of the matter is it's just a beautiful truck to drive. It just it, absolutely is and uh so you know the the brand acceptance they are the youngest brand major brand in the marketplace and volvo is and um you know this is this is going to come around with the new engine um the power's there the speed is there the performance there everything's right um the dynamics of of the the steering and and the ride and whatnot have always been first class on a volvo it's even a little sharper now. So when we combine all of those things into one package, um, I, I, a lot of people's opinions are going to change once they get behind the wheel. Yeah. There you go. I agree. But do you have a printed, printed out, printed out anywhere where the specs, the way your truck is specced? Here's how you do it. You go into a Volvo dealer and you say, I want an eye torque. And they hit a button, and, and that that gives you the spec. So you're looking for the eye torque. Spec. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got that. But that does that put in the steering too, and uh, obviously not the uh, seat. But you, you know what? Um, if you get a hold of me, uh, can you at Joel at alphadrivers-tc.com? Um, I will help walk you through this. And we'll get you what you want. I've, I've got a couple of guys right after the show that I have to call. They're same thing, you know. They they're very interested. They they love the idea of this, and they want to make sure they get it right. So I'm I'm helping to walk a few guys guys through some specs hey, right now. So hey, Joel, uh, okay, you can so send me a message to my email. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Tim. That finish up and all. Uh, I was going to say just just to get to make sure I got that website right. Is Joel at Alpha? Alpha Drivers 
TC. Dash TC. Dash, a little dash, not dash TC.com. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Send me a message there and uh, we'll we'll get you. I, I am super buried. It may take me a minute to get to you, but I will get to you. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Yep. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, now I forgot what I was going to say. It must not have been important. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back sorry, to me, maybe. Sorry to no, no, up there. no problem. Yeah. It was probably yeah. just something sarcastic anyway. It's Friday. <laughs> All right. Right. Well, I've listened to you for a bunch of years, and I, I do appreciate all you do for us. And, and uh, you know, you've helped me a bunch. Good. Good. Yeah. So, well, thank you for your support. You. We're going to grab another call here. We're off to Florida. Matt, are you still dodging hurricanes? Guess it's uh, guess it's moved on from uh, there. Huh? Um, yeah, it's moved on, and I'm just about to Georgia now, so on I-75. Oh, well, you're kind of chasing uh, it back. sunshine here. Yeah, oh, yeah, it might come around <laughs> and slap me on the side again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's on your mind today? Um, so yeah, Wade's call earlier I thought was a very very good call, and you know, yeah, I agree with both sides of the argument, and I appreciate them putting the numbers together. So yeah, um, really, I, I'm just just that your Friday sarcastic that call here today. <laughs> um, you were talking about the the young girl in the car, and yeah. you mentioned the cost of insurance for an 18 year old brand new vehicle. Right. Um, my son, 17 years old, he's got a friend that just this summer got his license, got a vehicle and all that. And, uh, uh you know, male. So, you know, young male, he's got his own pickup. Right. They are way more expensive to insure than females. His parents on the insurance form, Selected non-binary. No, you know, since that's a thing these days. Oh no! Made his insurance way cheaper. Uh, somebody's going to have to explain this one to me. Insurance companies, you know, when we talk about math and numbers, nobody runs their business on more numbers than insurance companies. Every single decision they make is based on numbers. What what justification do they have to, to claim that? And why would they do this to themselves? Who says somebody's more safe because they claim they're nine? What the hell does non-binary even mean? I don't even know what that one means. Uh, um, I guess it means you, you don't know what you are. I thought binary had, like, gender. isn't that a computer term? What the hell does yeah, the word binary it, even mean? It is. <laughs> I don't one even know. Zero. That, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was that whole one zero thing. Is But what does that have to do with who I want to sleep with? No, this isn't who you want to sleep with. This is what you identify as. I, I, okay. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm so confused. Wouldn't that tell me who I want to sleep yeah, with? You're, <laughs> that's a different category okay yeah. holy cow and, uh, and what does it have to do with insurance so, 
Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I laughed so hard when I heard that when he was telling us that story. And well, I mean, I <laughs> opinion. Anybody else out there with uh, with with young male kids? If it's an option on your insurance, you might as well select it and so save a few bucks. Let let's let's beat them at their woke game. Well, you know what's going to happen? The government's going to use that information to decide that we've got this many <laughs> non-binary people or whatever. And yeah, it's going to get crazy. Oh, you're right. Oh, man. Unbelievable. <laughs> I will end with actually helping some people. Uh, the last call about the app, and you were saying refreshing it. Yeah. Um. No, that I use Apple, so I don't know if there's a difference at all between the two systems. But when you're on the home screen across the bottom, there's the actual home button, and then there's the discovery button that looks like a microphone. Okay. If you click on that, and of course it ain't working as I do it here. <laughs> um, the next screen, uh, discover, it says shows, and it, it actually has you know, all the little pictures in the different titles of the different shows. Right. Next to shows, it has the thing that's called episodes. When you click on episodes, then it actually shows you all the shows in order by date with the newest on top. Okay. And that screen you can pull down and refresh. And refresh. Okay. And yeah, they, they do upload every day. Sometimes it's, you know... I'm assuming Aaron has to do it manually, so yes, he sometimes does. it's right after the show, sometimes it's an hour after, you know, it just yeah, we, how busy he is. Yeah, and sometimes that's my fault. Usually if it's late, it's my fault. So we automated we automated my part of it because we knew if we didn't, I would screw it up. Aaron's part is still manual, but I, even though mine's automated, I still manage to screw it up once in a while. What I have to remember is when the show is over, I have to give it like five minutes for my automation to happen. And occasionally I'll say, goodbye, I'm done. I'll slam the lid of my laptop closed and I'll go do something else. And later on, I'll be, I'll see Aaron's been texting me a hundred times. Where's the file? So that's usually my fault. <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, but I'm pretty sure, we, I, I don't know that we've ever been um, more than a couple hours late. I don't think it's ever been a day. No. Yeah, I, well, there was one, that one time Aaron was on vacation on a Friday. And oh, okay. I think, uh, I think it was a few hours, but I mean, it was still the same day. Yeah, good. But, you know, um, one just comment about Florida and the hurricane. Um, I have quite shocked the response and the amount of uh, not first responders, but you know, the electric companies, the oh, yeah. companies, I have never seen this many vehicles down here. There, there's a group I mean, of them from Oregon insane. heading that way. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen Montana plates today. Yeah. Um, it, it's just... Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It, it, you know, they are saying, now this is, what, the, they're thinking the fifth largest storm to ever hit the... Right. 
Yeah. Country. Yeah, I think that was based oh, on wind speed at deal, wind speed yeah. at landfall. I think. Yep. So. Yeah. Well, since you brought yeah, it up, I I uh, I wasn't safe and- I wasn't going to get too political today, but I'll just throw this out there because you know I've talked before about. Um, if, if you want to mess with your brain, just flip back and forth all day long from CNN to Fox. <laughs> It'll just make you insane. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I watched them yesterday. They were like, this is all climate change. That's all CNN could talk about yesterday. And these idiots, you know, some of those people, Joy Reid, she's like a Harvard graduate. Um, I don't know if she could pour piss out of a boot if the instructions were on the bottom. I, I don't know how you make it through Harvard and, and you're still so stupid. It, she went on and on and on about, well, you know, we used to have, you know, one or two hurricanes a season. Now they happen all the time. I'm like, what is she talking about? Isn't this the first hurricane Florida's had this year? And it's almost <laughs> over. The season's almost over. They're not happening all the time. They're not even getting more intense. You can go back and look at the data. You can go all the way back to 1900. They're actually, we're having far fewer hurricanes now. Last several years, we've been down in numbers of hurricanes, not even close to what it used to be. There is a little bit of indication that they might be slightly more intense but not much, and it really just depends on how you look at it. And honestly, in 1900, we weren't able to measure them the way we can now. We didn't have hurricane hunters flying into the middle of them, measuring this stuff all day long. It, it's just this this whole climate change is about to make me insane. Well, I hear you. If you read the book um, Fossil Future, he goes into a lot of this detail in there, and the number of people dying weather related has been going down for a long time. Way down. Now, yeah, I forgot about that one. You're right. Is, is safety related, yeah. you know, with yeah. building codes and, you know, advanced warning systems. There's it's not the storm itself, it's right. The society right. we built to be able to prepare for them. But yeah, it, it and even the whole, you know, he goes into the whole climate change side of stuff and how it, you know, fossil fuel stuff. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's quite eye-opening if you, if it's I, the opposite of, of the story that's being pushed worldwide. Sure is. Sure is. Yeah, I've got that one on my Kindle. I just, uh, I think I may have even started that one. I don't know. Um, calls are piling up again. Let's, uh, let's knock them out. We're going to go to Scott in California. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, thanks for uh, having me. Um, you guys were, um, I got a bunch of things, but uh, you, uh, Joel was just talking about uh, improving traction in the snow uh, with that lift axle. And it got me to thinking, uh, man, I really need, could use some advice on that. Um, I've got a, I believe it's called a six by four, but I have a, a locking front and rear differential. Well, wait, let, uh, let, hold, hold, than, hold uh, on, let me, let me, let me okay. make sure we're hearing you correctly. You can lock the front axle itself together. Is that correct? No, I can lock the front. Okay. The so that, okay. So you said that 
in a way that was misleading. Virtually every six by four. uh, No, that's okay. I just want to make sure the other people listening know what we're talking about. Virtually every six by four on the road can lock the two differentials together. That's our power divider. But there are trucks that can lock or there are differentials where you could lock the differential itself. And technically, you could build a truck where you could lock the front differential, you could lock the back differential, and then you could lock the two together. Good luck getting around a corner, but you could do it. So (laughs) yours is is just a really... Side to side. Yeah, yours is just the really standard 6x4 that we've had forever. Yeah, I used to have uh, a driver truck that was... uh, locking differential and that was so much better than uh, what i have now yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's honestly honestly i a 4 by 2 performs much better in bad conditions than most 6 by 4s almost every time so here here is the science behind this so what we've learned is when you look at your gross combination vehicle weight if you can get 25% of that weight onto a drive axle, whether it's a six by two or a four by two, your traction potential in on highway situations is actually better than a six by four that splits the weight 50, 50 between the axles. Yep. And it, it is absolutely true. I, I have videoed running through alleys that you're knee deep in snow where I meet that traction threshold requirement, done the calculations, jump in the truck, and you blow right through the snow, and the 6x4 will have issues doing that. Um, the, the problem is is that here in the United States, we have some uh, weight limitations on our, on our steer axles. Everybody will spec a 12 or a 12.5 or even a 13.2 steer axle where you need 14.6 to 15.1, in order to place the fifth wheel in a location where you can get the proper weight distribution in order to meet that 25% threshold on the, on the drive axle. So it becomes challenging that way. It's, it's something that we have never really thought about because we've always ran six by fours. Um, the predominant mindset is that a six by four is always better with traction. And that absolutely is not true. No, it's the not. The problem is, is that we've never been, we've never been specced optimally to really prove that. Um, I've had several trucks over the last 10 years that have had very close to optimal specs. My truck I have now, when I get the wider front tires on it, we'll have a 15-1 front axle capacity. At that point, I'm optimal, and I have zero traction issues in the snow. I go anywhere a 6x4 can go on highway um, with with no issues at all. Uh, but it, it definitely requires the engineers to sharpen their pencil and get that, that weight distribution right, and it's something that... Um, the OEMs, the engineering staffs have struggled with, uh, in fact, it, it mostly, o, uh, OEMs, they're not even really aware of that 25% traction threshold rule. That's pretty common over in Scandinavia. And that's where I, I learned it from. Once hey, you understand what you're shooting for, that target becomes relatively easy to build the truck. Hey, Hey Joel, you know what, um, right. you know, it seems really mm-hmm. crazy. Um, my mm-hmm. first truck, I bought that 
white road boss two from roadway probably had four million miles on it by the time i got it um that was a six <laughs> by two with a tag axle mm-hmm. but they did one simple mm-hmm. thing didn't require a whole lot of technology at all but like the caller we had today with a six mm-hmm. by two that's just totally dead no kind of weight transfer technology mm-hmm. at all all they did on this one they stuck mm-hmm. an airbag between the forward axle, the drive axle, and the frame. And you pressed a button, and you inflated mm-hmm. the airbag on that axle, and it shifted the weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't pick the back that, axle that up. Is, the, the, the suspension would... weight biasing, absolutely. It, it, yes. it was a simple airbag and a switch. That's all it took. Why don't they just do yes. at least that much yes. when they build a 6x2 yes. today? Well, here's here's the thing. The the skill level of the driver and keeping that truck legal is of great concern to most fleets. Oh, that's and when true. you have yeah. a so-called dumb system that's very simple, it works great if the driver has the skill to use it. And and that that is the problem. So with today's Volvo system, it keeps you legal no matter what happens. Definitely more technology involved there but it definitely keeps you legal without the driver having to think about it. So yeah, you know well, the, what you're saying is, is essentially what the Volvo system is based on that, that type of weight biasing technology. It absolutely works. You are hundred percent correct. You know, it's kind of the opposite of the block. Using the block does no, the same the thing, thing in an, in an opposite it's, way. It's exact, right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. You're dumping the air out of, the airbags in order to put the weight or you're inflating an airbag, right. but they're both right. loading the drive axle. So and, yeah, and it, yeah, it worked exactly really right. well. Yep. I can't count how many, cause I was doing local P and D work with that thing. So I was in and out of parking lots all day. I was in Northeast Ohio yes. in the snow belt. You know where I'm talking about. So yes. I, I can't uh, uh, count yep. how yep. many times that thing got me out of a parking lot. Right. So you understand what I'm talking about when we talk about weight biasing. Yeah. What people didn't understand was what was the target that we were shooting for. Right. So right. putting it in terms of 25% of gross cut, then it starts to click with a guy like you that's like, hell yes, I've done that. I just didn't <laughs> know I was doing it. Exactly. And when you put a little air gauge on there and you weigh it, you start doing the calculation, <laughs> you'll be running it out. Well, hell, I'm only at 18. If I put some air to it, I'm at 25. Boom. There off you, you go. go. You know, yeah. and it, it absolutely works. Yeah. Yep. Anything else, Scott? So what would be the uh, easiest? Oh, well, uh, on the same topic, uh, uh, sounds like uh, uh, an easy thing to do would be to uh, just dump the air out of my uh, rear non-drive tire. The problem you run into on a six by four, when you dump air on axles, you're not keeping your driveline angles aligned properly and you're going to eat up U joints and seals and all kinds of stuff. The, the torque reactive suspensions that we run here in the United States were not designed to run down the road without any air in them. Now the Primax suspension that I have on my truck, I can dump the air. It will still maintain driveline angles and I could run at 60 mile an hour with no air in the suspension with the typical non-torque reactive suspensions. 
you're going to take the transmission out. You're going to take the bearings out of the, the axles. You're going to, it's going to vibrate. You're just going to have all kinds of issues. That's why you can't do that. And why you would need to put either the airbag setup that Kevin's talking about that will put it directly on the axle or a rubber block to help you maintain driveline angles when you dump the air. The other feature they had on that system was you could only keep that airbag inflated while you were in low range on the transmission. As soon as you flipped the selector to high range, the bag would deflate itself. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so you couldn't mess up your driveline angles at highway speeds. Uh I would only be using it just for startability. Exactly. That's all you ever, well, yeah. Right. That, right. Trying to right. Keep yeah. This is the, uh, all you would do, but even, even with just startability, over time, you will notice that you will get into some issues with, with, uh, with driveline angles. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, people don't necessarily think about. And it's why the manufacturers, um, they work so hard to come up with systems that don't put you into that position. Cause I can guarantee you say Volvo said, Oh, let's, let's use the bag that Kevin's talking about. We'll put a manual <laughs> switch on it. They would go to the component supplier, Dana and Dana would go bullshit. Oh, because we're going to no. have people yelling right. at us that our drive shafts aren't, aren't where, yeah. Exactly. So, so there it go. Nope. We're not approving for that yet. So this is why we have the systems that we have today. Look, I get it. We can, home engineer some very clever things and if you're very careful as a driver and you understand what could happen you can do a lot of things there there is no doubt about it but you can't put that type of system out into mass production right without getting a whole lot of pushback by fleets yep yeah i can understand that what about moving the uh tires back the axle back i can't slide my fifth wheel any further forward uh, I'm already limited well, on my steers. Y- y- you can. Um, you always you always want to run with your axles in a position where the drive axles have the most weight on them. Drive axles are meant to run most efficiently when they're loaded and loaded to capacity, and that also optimizes the tire footprint. So often you see guys will have you know, 33 or 34,000 pounds on the tandem for whatever reason, they're thinking they're more fuel efficient by running more weight on the trailer tandem. And it, that is not the case. Um, you always want to keep it loaded. So absolutely. Anytime you can slide back, you want to load that, that drive axle tandem right out to 34,000 pounds. Um, you know, obviously you can't go over, but you, you definitely want to, you want to see your weight right out to capacity on that. So, your axle's more efficient, and then your tires have the optimal footprint on them as well. So would that be with the kingpin right over the drive axle? The kingpin over the drive. On on a tandem axle, if you have the right wheelbase, you don't have some stretched out long wheelbase, you want to get right in between both of the axles in, in between your drive axles, you know, you want that kingpin weight to split between the axles 50, 50. Now for aerodynamic benefit, you may want to slide it forward as far as possible to close the gap up. So now you're going to get a little bit of traction compromise in order to increase aerodynamics, which in the majority of circumstances is just fine. 
if if you know you're going to be climbing Eisenhower and it's going to be a little snowy or something, you're going to want to make sure that you've got as much weight on the truck tandem as possible and forget about the aerodynamics, you know, what whatever uh, sliding arrangement you have to do to achieve that. But, you know, in most cases, we, ha- we really haven't thought about wheelbase as it relates to weight transfer and aerodynamics, you know, in a, in a holistic approach. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about that type of thing when I set my six by twos up. I want to keep, you know, my, my gap between the truck and the trailer when you measure off the side of the fairings about 13 inches. I want a 39 inch back of cab to front of trailer measurements. Um, so I run about a 217 inch wheelbase when I'm axle down. When I'm axle up, I'm closer to 241 inches because the way you measure things. So, um, the gap doesn't change. Keeping that gap closed for aerodynamic um, efficiency while having the correct weight distribution, that can be a trick at times. Yeah. Uh, you start to get the hang of it after you spec a few and you screwed up a few, you know, and, and even the guys that, you know, are super sharp with the calculations and the math, uh, they don't always get it right. So, um, Once you get that right, though, uh, the fuel efficiency is great. The truck handles well. Tire life is excellent. Traction is good. It just works very well all the the way around. So, um, uh, you know, if you get the opportunity to spec a new truck, it's something that you really want to do your homework on, and you spend quite a bit of time making sure that that's right because it's going to have a significant impact to fuel efficiency, tire life, traction, and the ride quality of the truck. Okay. Yeah, thank you for the 13-inch. That was one of my questions, too. So, um, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'd like to just kind of uh, comment on that uh, two-speed rear that uh, you were talking about yesterday, Kevin. I don't remember um, talking about a two-speed a rear end yesterday. Oh. No, 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 not rear end. Uh, I'm sorry, two-speed reverse. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes gotcha. sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I, I'm in a Cascadia, 2021 Cascadia, and uh, the two-speed reverse, I'm like, the hell have I got this for? Um, if they would make the uh, first gear reverse uh, a crawler gear, then I'd love it. Because I would like to be able to slow down for reverse. Uh, you right. Got it. Exactly. You got it, my like, friend. What do you want yeah. to race going back? <laughs> yeah, no, I so get that's it. That's exactly right. how the new Volvos are set up with the with the 13 and the 14 speed. We have a crawler gear reverse, and then we have a regular reverse. And you're exactly right. When you're backing around in a very tight area, that deep reduction is just absolutely fantastic. You're starting a heavy load. On a extreme grade, there, nothing beats that. It uh, it's surprising that we haven't seen it in the industry uh, that, before. Now that's and, what I was just. Know, I'm glad that Volvo's kind of led the way on this. Yep. I, I was just going to say we could have. This would have been nice 30 years ago, but it absolutely should have happened when we started putting in auto shifts, the two pedal. That's when it really showed up as as how awkward it was. Because prior to that, a decent well, driver about, could use the clutch yeah. to do this. You know, you just feather the clutch a little bit, and you, you're fine. It'd be nice to have a gear where I didn't have to do that. But once they went to the two-pedal auto shift, I, I have been teaching people for years to use the brake like the clutch in that setup. Right, right. And, and think about, 
you know, you, you get a group of engineers. They set in an office or an office <laughs> building that has a bunch of cubicles. They're, they're not out in the truck like Dwayne came out in the exactly. truck with me. Yeah. So they go, well, look, we've got this. We've got a manual transmission. Let's just put controls on it. <laughs> Nobody thinking about, ooh, we may need some more reduction here. And, I mean, look how many years that continued to be the case until – you know, I was barking at him forever. I need uh, reduction. Right. No, you don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> you know, yes. Well, yeah. Nobody else. Com- nobody that- else complained. Well, they don't know any better, you know, and then you put them in the truck and they're like, oh, oh, oh now I, I get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, yeah, cool stuff. Okay. Cool well, stuff. Thanks for that. All right. Well, thank you. That's all I have. You're welcome. Thanks for the Absolutely. call. Uh, let's go to Illinois. Brandy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. I uh, just wanted to uh, reiterate on the app. I asked you this question, and what you had told me was right. All you do is pull down on the episode screen, and the next episode will show up, and that's on an Android um, let's see. I was listening on so Wednesday's show is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I was listening Thursday and I clicked on the Thursday show and the, the, the show changed and, and then the music came on and I realized why is nobody not talking about Wednesday's show? I was listening to a other show and basically something on the app now it says you you have to go to live screen live stream in order to listen to live otherwise i guess you're just getting the regular stream and you could be listening to another show could be and any not even realize yeah it could be Especially any random show just right right yeah yeah that would yeah. be confusing so i was kind of shocked yeah it's like why is nobody talking about this that great show so i also am curious about the moringa tree you said it was going to take three days to get to you i wondered if you got it i'm really interested in having one of those myself you know i got a uh, an email yesterday it shipped but it must be shipping pretty slow it's not going to get here till tuesday okay I noticed they were four to six feet and $139. I don't know how it gets shipped to me, but I'm um, really interested. Yeah, the site that I, I used, I've actually had really good luck with this website for trees and some shrubs and some other things. Um, fastgrowingtrees.com is where I got mine. I think I, I think that's where I saw that. Sounds like it, because that is the, also, that is the price. Um, now, you could also get them all the way up to like six to seven feet. Uh, and they weren't that much more, maybe one fifty nine. But I'm gonna I'm gonna grow mine in a container, so I don't need it to be really big anyway. I'd grow mine in the house. <laughs> I live in the Midwest, and I don't think that's gonna work out very well. Well, you, so you should really and timers and stuff like that. You should really put it in a container that you can move outside. You should have it outside all spring, summer, and fall. I only need to bring it in when there's going to be a hard okay. freeze. I see. Okay. Um, and then uh, on that uh, binary thing, you know, this is going to be way out there, but when you think of uh, into the abortion thing and they call this tissue, well, isn't that in a one another way to say, well, if you don't identify anything, can you just simply be identified as tissue? Yeah, I, so, I guess. I, I anyway, uh, yeah. That's just, that's, that's just my sheesh, take on, on going down the, the, the insurance yeah. road of, yeah, of we're, non-binary. Why don't you just say, yeah, we're, I'm tissue? Yeah, we're, we're just a blob of tissue. That's all. Yeah. 
Wow. That's all I have. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. Let's go to New York. Jack, welcome to the program. Jack, welcome to the program. Hello. What's on your mind today? Hello. Oh, yes, on the app. Um, you need to be logged in to the app in order to get the refresh shows. If, if you're not logged into the app, you won't get the latest shows. When do you get them then? Well, you, you get you get them every day. The only problem is if you're not logged in to the app itself, you won't get the refresh shows. You need to be logged into that. And what happens also? Wait, 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 hold, hold on, because I'm a little con, I'm a little confused. If if I can't refresh the shows, then how do, would I ever have access to any shows? Well, you can refresh what? the shows, but what I'm saying is you're going to get the latest shows if you're logged in through the app or what I think is fuel gauges. Correct. That it yeah. is temporarily the, on. The, the biggest advantage to being logged in yeah, is, is, most- is then you can customize which shows show up for you. You can bookmark shows. You can. So there is a difference when you're logged in or not, but I'm not sure that that was this person's right. issue. I mean, they should have been able to see all the available episodes. Well, not entirely, because if you're if you're not logged in at all, sometimes it just doesn't refresh. And then when you log into the app itself, well, but but hold on, hold on. If it doesn't refresh, what's showing up then? We'll show up some older shows like like that caller was asked. Okay, this, this to me sounds more like a, like individual bugs, and and we certainly have those. And then there's Android and Apple, and uh, but you should have access to all the shows logged in or not. We don't restrict your access to a show. Well, I just you know like you know since I'm on the Beta Warriors and I've been working on the app since. You had it out. This this was an issue that the best way to get a refresh show. Yeah, absolutely, was, was they, right. Show. But it, it it's not programmed that way. Is what I'm trying to say. We're 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 not restricting access to shows because somebody isn't logged in. That's what I'm trying to be clear about. There may be a bug. It may not be working okay, the way well, we wanted it to. But I don't want people to think right. that we're somehow restricting access to the show unless you're logged in. All we restrict no, logged in is just so you can. Okay. No, I know you're not, but it, it sounded yeah. that way to me. Yeah. So I want to make sure other people listening yeah. understand that that's not what you're saying. Well, because a lot of times what will happen is like, I'll be logged into the app. And after several days, it'll just put me right off, off the app. You know, I have to log back in to get the latest show. And that's the reason why I'm saying right. what right. I'm saying. It, but what and what I'm saying yeah. is I'm not disputing your experience. I know that happens happens to a lot of people. It doesn't right. happen every time. That's what I mean. This isn't this isn't the way it was programmed. But occasionally, and we've had upgrades, and sometimes that fixed it. Sometimes the upgrade broke it. But what I'm just trying to make right. people aware of is logging in does not give you more access to more shows. Not on purpose. There could be. 
Like they might not be showing up and then you log in and they do, but that we, that's not on purpose. Okay. All right. I just, you know, by my experience, it's. Oh, no, I, I, like I said, I, I'm sure that that's your experience. I'm not disputing it. I just want to make sure everybody else understands that it, it isn't necessarily that way. Let's go to Indiana. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey guys, uh, I'm Jim. I identify as a male. Um, <laughs> what are your? Uh, these, hold on. What 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 are your preferred pronouns? Uh, truck driver and owner operator. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm looking online and I'm looking on truck paper at Volvos and stuff, and I'm looking at like let's just say 16 to like 20. And I'm seeing some that have like these ratios that are not favorable, like 308 uh, in the 320s. And then I see some that have like the shifter on the side of the seat. And then they have Mm -hmm. the shifting that's on the dashboard. Like Mm -hmm. what I've seen a few that are like 264 gear ratio and they're like a, a 2017 model. But I'm not sure about any of the other specs. I don't know if they're TCs or any of that sort of stuff. So So the majority of everything you're going to see in the truck paper to this point is going to be a VGT. There will be a few turbo compounded engines out there, but they're relatively new to the market. And the people that have them are really, really liking them. And so you're just not going to see much out there right now. 264 with an overdrive transmission has been Volvo's fuel efficiency spec for a decade now. Um, that has been very, very common for them with a with the D13 VGT. Um, it does okay. It's never going to be as good as a TC with the iTorque specs. Um, it, it will do reasonably well, but it will not ever be as good as an iTorque spec. So just understand that up front. Volvo has two 13 liter engines, a VGT engine and a TC engine. The TC engine is significantly more efficient than the VGT. So I think a lot of people get confused. They say, well, I bought a Volvo and it doesn't get your fuel mileage. <laughs> and it turns out it's a VGT with a 308. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's not going to. So under understand that, that there is a significant difference. They look very similar. Um, if you go to the turbo side of the engine on the TC, you'll see the turbo hanging out there. And then if you look up towards the firewall, you'll see what looks like another turbine housing back there. That's the easy way to tell the difference. If it doesn't say D13 TC, um, it, it, it's just the easy way to see the difference. Um, as far as the shifter on the seat or in the dash, that's an option. You can have it either way, and it can be changed after the fact. I'm not sure what they charge these days to swap them out, but that can definitely be done. If you prefer it on the seat and it's in the dash, I, I love the one on the seat. And, uh, on my last test truck, it came in the dash and I had them swap it out. Um, you'll have to go to a dealer to see what, what they're going to charge you to do that these days. I am not sure. It's been a while since I, since I done one a couple of years. So, um, you can have that either way. You definitely, if you're running, you know, a, a on highway operation that's you know not out of the ordinary weight wise you're going to be wanting to do the 264 
in an older truck with a VGT, that's going to be your, your best option. Um, the, the 308s and the 325s, you know, we got some old school salespeople that maybe came in from a Kenworth dealer or a Peterbilt dealer, and that's what they ordered while they were working over there, and that's what they continue to order. And it's very hard to break that mindset um, that 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 particular salesperson has. And so, yeah, we get some trucks that are still ordered that way and probably will continue to see a few, although EPA is probably going to put a stop to most of that. Um, you're not going to be able to meet uh, greenhouse gas emissions with a truck running around with a 308 or a 326 gear. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So we'll start to see that fade out, but you, you will continue to see a lot of those in the used truck market. My advice to you is avoid them, or if you can make the deal, depending on how the used truck market is, include a re-ratio when you're buying the truck. And you can go all the way to 247 with an overdrive transmission with the D13 uh, VGT. You, you can't go any further. The startability won't be there. And the way the torque curve works on the VGT, once you get past 247, you're not going to be happy with it. Um, D13TC makes a lot more torque down low, so we can run these more aggressive ratios. Are we looking at more like uh, 2019 and above for TC type stuff with ITORX factor? T- What's the year? Well, TC starts in mid 2018. Um, the Gen 1 didn't really catch on. Uh, so you're going to start to see them come on in about 2020. And as far as iTorque specs, this is brand new. This is just being released. Now, I have run versions of this spec that I built myself, you know, put these ratios together and, you know, played with parameters and whatnot. But officially, it is it was just rolled out this year. So to okay. get an actual iTorque spec, um, it would be very, very difficult, if not impossible, in the used truck market at this point. 247 um, and maybe 226 overdrive. You might find a 226 overdrive. You'll certainly find 247 overdrives. They do reasonably well. Um, I would not be afraid of them. Uh, the, the performance and the fuel efficiency is not going to be on par with iTorque, but it will be better than 264 with a VGT. So it kind of splits the difference. Okay. Well, currently I have a 2003 Columbia with a Series 60 and the, a nice mm-hmm. 293 gear ratio with a mm-hmm. nine-speed converted to a 13. And is that an old Swift mm-hmm. truck? It's definitely an oddly spec truck. It's George Hexel truck from Swift, actually. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. I don't yeah. Know that. If you remember George or not, Kevin? Yep. But. Yep. I remember that truck. Yeah. Yeah. That that two ninety three. Swift might have been the only company to ever spec that. And honestly, if you can run fifty five to sixty, it worked really well. Well, yeah, it, it worked well with the right Detroit. Now for, yeah. For a 30-day yeah. average, and usually in the summer, I'm in like 8.2, and I run anywhere between 63 and 66. Awesome. Yeah, for an old truck, that's, that's excellent fuel economy. Yeah, very good. All right, good very stuff. Good. Hey, Joel. Like we're 60 Series Detroit. Oh, go ahead. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, if you like the 60 series Detroit, when you come over to the D13 platform, they are very similar. In fact, when the 60 series and the, the original D12, they came out right around the same time, there was a big battle over who copied who. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're very similar, and you'll be very familiar with them. It was, yeah, it was, uh, it, they had a big battle about that, who who copied who. But um, you're going to do very well. The one thing you'll notice on the on the, the Volvo versus the Detroit, and this was always the main thing that differentiated the two, the 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 D12 and the D13 made horsepower and torque at a lower RPM than the Detroit did. So you and, had to gear them different. And we did Most didn't. people didn't realize Wait, it. They right. geared them exactly the same. Yep. And then everybody said, well, that engine's a piece of junk. You know, I, it's getting five and a half and it won't get out of its own way because we were never geared right. And uh, so when you do gear them right, it completely changes the personality of the truck. I, I hate to admit it, but I was one of those guys. That engine's junk. I can't get it to do anything. Listen, the first couple that I owned had done the exact same thing, and I'm thinking, what in the hell is going on? This can't be right. You know, I I was a lot of homework and a lot of research to figure it out. I was really excited about the engine when I first started looking at it in the early 2000s. I was really excited about it, and then it was just awful when we put them on the road. And I'm like, what are we doing wrong here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 13 speed with a 355. Yep. We're thinking this ought to be they, perfect. They were yeah, awful. It just, it just yeah. pulled it right out of its its comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Hey, I agree. I, I've got a thought, and you know, I I think about this kind of mm-hmm. stuff all the time. And we've got projects that I mean, our our issue is we always have too many projects, not enough time and people. But I just don't like stopping to think about new projects. So uh, I'm looking at, you know, we have. Specs from trucks, you know, I don't want to go all the way back to mechanical, but we still deal with a lot of people who have, you know, pre-emission electronic engines that, you know, the stuff we kept running forever to stay away from emissions, still a lot of those around the gliders. We spec those differently. We've got the, you know, engines starting around 08, 09. We spec those a little differently. Now we're to a point where, Mm-hmm. we're specking each truck very differently because they're so proprietary now. And then we're specking them differently for different mm-hmm. operations, even more than we used to. And I just got thinking, this might be a great opportunity for an app. I I, I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, this is something that you know, as, as a company, as Alpha Drivers Testing and Consulting, I'm getting just a, a, a ton of people call and say, hey, can you help me? Uh, an app would be great. The problem I think that we run into, and, and maybe we can solve this with the app somehow too, is that it's very hard for even the salespeople to keep up with the technology. It's evolving so fast and they're confused. And so when you bring in a set of specs, they're not at all comfortable ordering that, you know, they're always trying to right. push into something else. So I'm not exactly sure what the best way to, to handle this is. Um, you know, when I take the time to actually get the, the guy that wants to buy the truck, on the phone and get the dealer on the phone and kind of bring them together and hold their hands. And, you know, we all sing Kumbaya and then order the truck. <laughs> it, it works a lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is there yet. I agree. The app would be very educational for 
for the, the guy buying the truck, um, how we can make the rest of that experience better with the dealerships. That's, that's a whole nother thing. That's an interesting, they all have this problem. You know, that's, that's not just a, a Volvo thing. And like you said, it used to be all the trucks were basically the same. If a 355 worked in right. my Peterbilt with a cat, it was going to work in my Freightliner with a Detroit. That is not the case anymore. Not even close. Um, not even so, close anymore. I right, mean, it, it, right. it and the, so, the, uh, the difference is, I mean, you can still go spec your trucks that way. You're just missing huge opportunities for savings, efficiency, yes, and it's fuel, yes. it's maintenance, it's downtime. Yes. It, it's a big, big factor. And, and, Yes, and what where it also is a huge factor that we have missed for almost a decade, and that everybody bitches about the emission system. You know these junk emission systems. Why didn't they design them to work? And this is bullshit. <laughs> they worked. We just geared them wrong. That was a part <laughs> of it. Not yeah, much an engineer yeah. that's working on it. It was a, it was a way bigger part of it, I think, than anybody really right. realizes. The more I dig into the whole piston speed emissions thing, um, man, and and you know we've always said, eh, it's probably not worth re-ratioing a truck. If you have an emissions truck, you really got to think about that state. That's true. Because You're if right. they got it screwed I up, know. somebody got it out of the factory. You know what that cost. So it's it's something that you know every time we we kind of say that, I'm thinking to myself, mm, maybe that's not right anymore yeah. on some of these newer it, trucks. It, so it, it probably isn't. To pay attention to it, and adjust our thinking. I know it just it yeah. hate I, I hate to spend eight thousand dollars. You know, it's it's I, like there's, there's I, I ugh, agree with you, but you I think you're right. I think we have to rethink mm-hmm. that now in in today's world. Yeah, because I mean, look at a lot of the one box issues. You know that yeah. you know Detroit had struggled with with one box issues. At a certain point, you were going to spend how much on a one box? Twenty or twenty five thousand. You know, a lot of this was right. Yeah. So if you would have re-ratioed that truck early on for eight thousand dollars, you may not you be. You wouldn't be doing up it against that one yeah, box issue. You're right. Yeah, I know. Yep. It's it we we it, the thing is I I so, that that's almost why I want to get the you know some solution to make this not so I, labor intensive. Not only is it time intensive for you to work with the person and the dealer. Mm-hmm. I can do this on most trucks. I'm getting closer on Volvo now because I've been working with you for so long. I can do it on just about everything else. John can do it. We have some people at Pittsburgh Power that could. We have some people in the fuel mileage group that could. But honestly, there is going to be a very, very limited number of people that could help you spec any of the trucks or all of the trucks. Well, even if you get the spec right, um, it's, it's the interaction with the dealership that becomes problematic. Yeah. And, you know, I can walk into a Volvo dealership and, you know, I, I, let's face it, I'm carrying some clout when I walk into there and very few people are going to argue with me on stuff. They're basically like, okay, I'll just submit it. <laughs> right. You know, they don't want right. to push back anymore. And, and that's, that is the magic right there for people. Um, getting the spec, that's kind of the easy part once we know what to do. You know, we got targets to shoot for. We we can start to hit the bullseye. It's actually the interaction at the dealership that becomes. Yeah. They try to no. You want the three hundred eight for the VTT <laughs> right. because right. Uh, yada yada. I, I mean, you hear some of this craziest stuff. So, I would be very interested, Kevin, if maybe we could work a way that we can maybe um, 
and I don't know how we would do it yet, but sit down and, and actually that is a service. I think that's valuable for an owner operator to basically take that part of the equation where, you know, we'd almost go into the dealership as a, like an alpha drivers and say, okay, here's the spec. I can do it with a Volvo now. Here's the codes and everything laid out. Here's what you might need for engineering approval. And here's who you need to talk to make this happen. Yeah. You know, skip the bullshit. Yeah, Yeah. I I agree. And if you think about it, you know, our first concern owner operators, we want to help them. We want them to get it right. But as an industry, if we, you know, think about it, that $8,000 to re-gear, whatever it's going to cost us, it's just a total waste of money. It should have been geared right in the first place. If we could get fleets and dealers to understand this, then the secondary market becomes better. Well, and and this is, this is part of the problem that we're up against trying to get the secondary market to embrace some of these new technologies. Look, fleets will order trucks saying, I need something I can resell. So it's going to be a 308, even though I'm going to save a little bit of money on fuel with a 264, I can't resell it. So we're stuck in this trap, you know, trying to get, so what, what we're doing here, trying to push the ideas, the concepts, the technology into the grassroots changes the secondary market's mindset they start asking for the stuff and then things that were back feeding technology yeah. into the fleets if you can believe that yeah yeah you know, and that's exactly what's happening that's exactly what's happening and it, it blows people's minds when you lay it out that way <laughs> yeah some guys you know higher up in the corporate structure that you're doing what we're back feeding this and they're yeah. like oh, okay you know and then they start to get it it starts to click so. yeah yeah. Um, and so it's, it's difficult. This is very difficult to do. And, you know, you've got a platform and, and I've got some social media presence where we're really starting to starting to have an impact here on, on, you know, kind of backfeeding some of this technology so we can get some buy-in on it. And, yeah, you, you know, for, you know how it is so many years, just buy a glider kit and an old engine <laughs> through that new bullshit. And that, that has been, what has been problematic, definitely. No doubt. You know, the, the idea for an app or even a website, but I'm just thinking everybody uses their phone now. Apps are actually easier to program. Um, and the, the idea for me mm-hmm. came about for myself. It's getting hard with all the different proprietary platforms. You know, now we're excited about the international engine, but that's another one to try to keep track of. And there's so many different transmission options and rear end options. And I got thinking, I need a way to help me help other people so that I can keep all these straight. Kevin, I think an app with a series of videos where, for example, on a Volvo platform where I could have the truck and I could take it from the bumper to the taillights, go over every single piece, why it's there and what it's doing, yeah, and then have the customer so they can link the salesperson back to that video and say, watch this before we talk. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that starts to make a, make a lot of sense. So, you know, I think something like that would be of extreme value to not only the customer buying the truck, but to the OEM as well. Yeah. And you know what? It, bring, Over- it brings everybody to the, to the same mindset before the, before we even start talking. And yeah. And once really needs to happen because there's such, such a disconnect there. And here's another way we could use this because again, each truck is becoming so proprietary. We have specific issues 
in an app like this, we could also put in videos and address things like the exhaust plungers. How many times do you have to say that? Yes. Right. You know, right. and then no, no, you're, you're exactly right. Then we could make it very, very clear. This issue applies to these trucks, this model this year, because that's a that, you know, people are running around going, yep. oh, my God, my exhaust plungers need adjusted when they don't. They don't have that engine anymore. They don't even have. Right. right. Yes, 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 exactly. Right. Yep. They've already got the upgrade and they don't have to worry about it. And they're. You know, they're stressing over, I need this or I need that. So I, I, video, I think, is a very powerful tool in combination with the type of app you're talking about. And uh, I, I just think that that would be invaluable to, to you know, the market in general. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, when you have a win-win like that, um, I, I think it's something that we ought to at least explore the possibilities. Um, I'm, as usual, open to just about anything when it comes to stuff like this. So if that's yeah, so. That, you for, want to have discussion about I, I do absolutely. for us for us the the way we, we I mean we have our own programming team that's why I think we could pull this off and we spend mm-hmm. a certain amount of money on programming every month month after month we always do and it, it, so it never varies mm-hmm. it, it isn't like this is going to cost me a lot of money it just comes down to time we we invest the same amount of money to our programming team every month and it's just what can they get done Mm-hmm. You know, and then we just move on to the next project. Sure. So it's just a matter of, you know, kind sure. of outlining this, putting it together, and then just sticking it in our programming schedule. And um, I think it just has a lot of yeah, potential. I, I, think, I think the way to probably pursue this, um, you know, I, I know the Volvo platform very well. I think what you would do is we would put together the first one on the Volvo platform. Yep. And then I think you'd reach out to the other OEMs and say, watch this. We want to put something together like this for your platform. Give us your engineering staff so we can, you know, put this together. I, I would have a very difficult time to set up a PACAR optimally. Right. Because I right. don't have the time involved on it. So you'd have to get buy-in from the other OEMs at that point in order to make sure that we get this right. Here's the thing. I remember reading a book a long time ago. Boy, I wish I could remember the name of the book. The The concept was basically using leverage of competitors. It was a sales book. And the the concept would work here. So, like you said, we know we can do this on Volvo. We know we can do it on Freightliner pretty well right now. Um, mm-hmm. Getting the buy-in from the dealer, all we have to do is get one. And I'm, prob- I'm pretty sure we'd get, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of cooperation from Volvo because then you just go to Packard and go, hey, look what Volvo's doing, guys. You know, you better get on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then once right. you get, right. you know, Absolutely. once you get Volvo and Packard, then it's easy to go to international and say, hey, guys, you don't want to be left behind on this one. Right. Right. No, I agree. I agree. I think I'll start working yeah, on I'm, that. Yeah, I'm open to, to anything. Just just, yeah. just let me know. And, uh, Good. and, and, and also, again, I'm kind of expanding on the idea, not just new trucks. I mean, we can go backwards and say, you know, here are other good specs for used trucks you might be looking for. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would actually probably be the easier because we have all the experience in the world. Pittsburgh Power knows that stuff inside and out. That's their wheelhouse. And 
And uh, absolutely, yeah. so that that would make sense. Good. We have all the resources. We have the idea. All we have to do is the hard work. Execute. There you go. Execute, execute, all right. execute, right? All right. Yep. Hey, three hours today, no breaks. Awesome. I'm going to cut you loose and let you get on to the rest of your day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm three hours behind on my delivery, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> I'm just taking, uh, I, you know, I'm I just thrilled to death that these guys threw this stuff to me to, to run up to the vocational school. Oh, I love I, that. I was just absolutely love that. Fond. There's, there's got to be $150,000 oh. of stuff on here. They're just like, hey, you want it? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> and what a good use I for it, too. absolutely take that. So. You know? I absolutely, man. Uh, get, this is this is very very cool. So I'm, I'm get, get uh, that big shout out to the guys at Volvo for yeah yeah for the generosity there. Kudos to yeah. them. Get that technology in the awesome. hands of those young technicians. Yep, and then you're going to see some real ideas really come to life because you know, let's face it, when you're younger, you outthink us old farts. <laughs> That's right. In circles, you know. You, That's right. You have you have imagination still that, yep. that you know you. You're not limited by your experience. We kind of we kind of get tunnel vision, and ah, you really can't do that. And they're like, oh, why not? You know. And, yeah, and when cool and stuff. and when they bring it to us, we'll Definitely. call them dumbasses, and and then we'll realize, oh well, maybe they're not so dumb. Maybe they're onto something <laughs> here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll be our our grumpy old. That's self, right. Like, eh. Yeah. So, yeah. No, awesome. All awesome right. Stuff. Sounds good. We'll All right. Today. Yep. Awesome. Good stuff. Get to your day, and uh, we'll do it again next. Next week. Have a great weekend. All right. Thanks, Kevin. We'll chat at you later. All right. We will. Uh, we'll see you back here on Monday. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.